0: WAPG Airline Pilot Guy.
1: Airline Pilot Guy, episode two eighty two. Flight two zero nine, you are clear for takeoff. Roger. LA departure, one two three point nine. Roger. Request that you open the door. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door captain jeff your host broadcasting live from studio 1a in the apg headquarters building in roswell georgia in this week's episode an update on the san francisco taxiway c flyby pilot suspended for forgetting to retract the landing gear more news your feedback and a new plane tail segment of degrees knots pounds and things So, get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 282 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys Show. It's an aviation podcast where each week, praised ab geeks get together to talk about aviation, beer, and other odds and ends and joining me from across the pond the ever popular professional photographer, former fighter pilot and wide body Airbus captain Captain Nick.
2: One thousand
3: Well, hello, hello the Jeff. On cue, here I am, sitting here on the other side of the Atlantic, gazing at you guys, who are five hours younger than I am. And uh, as I watch the hours tick up towards midnight, just looking forward to being on another
1: great show. Thanks. (laughs) I'm sensing some sarcasm there. (laughs) (laughs) And... Also joining us from this side of the pond, uh, he is presently in the, oh, uh, what would you call that? The uh, the Midwest, upper Midwest, uh, somewhere up in Michigan, Grand Rapids, I guess, to be exact. Western Michigan. Western Michigan. A Harley-Davidson driver, former regional jet pilot, and now Acme mainline, soon-to-be-captain, Dana.
2: Hello APG community, great to be back once again. I'm recovering from my Apple hangover, which uh, a lot of you got to see from last week and uh, get some news on that as we go through the show. I'm on the uh, backup new computer called the Lenovo from IBM, so should be okay today. And uh, fortunately, I'm in a hotel room, so hopefully we don't have any
1: bandwidth issues. So looking forward to another great show. So far, so good. We haven't had any dropouts Excellent. or uh, issues with your sound, so that's great. And as we know, uh, those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, that's not always the case. Even when we're at home, actually, sometimes we have issues with bandwidth and such. And it's amazing. I know you're, list- you're missing someone, and as we are um, as well, Dr. Steph. She's going to join us whenever she can. She's in the midst of driving home uh, between work and home. And uh, as soon as she pops into the uh, Hangout, we'll introduce her. But in the meantime, let's get caught up on what has been happening. To each other well uh, that's not the right way to say that what what's been happening with you Captain Nick anything interesting <laughs> since the last episode
3: uh, I'm trying to think what it was yes that was uh,
1: last that Thursday was
3: before my last JFK so and then we went in JFK it was pretty good the uh, forecast thunderstorms didn't arrive company gave us 45 minutes of holding fuel in case they did which we didn't uh, need. So we went in chocolate. Isn't it always the way? Whenever you think uh, you've got uh, heaps of gas, you never need it. And whenever you think, well, I'm just, a, I could have done with just an extra ton or two, that's the day all hell breaks loose. So uh, no, we got in fine. Uh, went across to grandma's house, uh, spent a couple of nights there. Um, went uh, trying to find a hundred uh, quart cool box on wheels, a decent one, I am looking for a Coleman, uh, and I went to like three major stores. I walked for about nine miles, um, and every single one, they, they had the 50 quart ones, or perhaps even the 60 or 65, nobody had the 100 quart ones, I should have apparently ordered it beforehand. What's the matter with you guys, don't you like big cool boxes or what?
1: Well, I, What's I a like cool the It's a uh, cooler. A, 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 yeah. Ice chest. Suggest- <laughs> yeah. Cooler. Yeah. I don't know. You got to get out that uh, UK to American English uh, translation. That's dictionary. correct. There you <laughs> go.
3: They, in Australia, they call them Eskies. Yeah. Uh, that's a brand. So it's, oh, yeah. That's come popular. out. Yeah. There you huh? go. Anyway, so I came home empty handed from there. I'm going to have to try and find some way to order one and get someone to accept a delivery so perhaps I can. Uh, do that for my next trip over there. And then perhaps I can meet someone and have a beer and pick it up. That would be one way. Anyway, the flight home, a lovely yeah. day flight. My first host did a great job. Super guy. Enjoyed flying with him very much and uh, came home. And since then, I've been kicking back and uh, relaxing, getting over the jet lag,
1: having a nice time. Thank you. Excellent. Now, you'll all remember last Thursday was the <laughs> – Infamous episode, you know, the one where Dana kills his MacBook and new MacBook. yeah, brand new MacBook brand new. And so everybody has been uh, throughout the week. In fact, even when I was up in Oshkosh, that was the first thing they asked me. So how's Dana's MacBook? <laughs> so <laughs> would you please give us an update, uh, Dana?
2: I'll be happy to. Well, you know, and you know, fortunately, this time, which I never have done in the past, I was smart, and I bought the apple Apple Care Plus program. So even though it's a brand new computer, the Apple Plus program um, covers any type of damage, including accidental liquid damage. The only problem that I'm seeing with that act that uh, program is that they take the uh, you know deliver it to you and instead of replacing it, even though it had a tremendous amount of liquid damage done to it, uh, they try to repair it first, so I don't know what the uh, result is on it yet. But uh, the the uh, the bottom line is is it's two hundred and ninety nine dollars, which is a small investment compared to the amount of money I spent on the the computer. And they repair it uh, regardless or replace it depending on what they find. So I'll know that uh, answer tomorrow when I get over to Apple. The good thing is is that I purchased it with I saw one of the comments was my. Sky Miles credit card from American Express. So the two hundred ninety nine dollars will actually, you know, as, as long as I jump through all the hoops, will be will actually be covered. So net is that I may end up with a repaired computer instead of a brand new computer. It's brand new. Weeks and two days old is when this actually happened. Um, I'll end up with a repaired computer but still covered covered under the full warranty until the end of the warranty, which is, uh, I think it's 24, 36 months. So if anything happens as a result of, like, let's say my battery starts dying or my uh, screen goes out again or I have problems with my keyboard again, uh, it's all going to be covered. Um, So in that respect, I'm very lucky. That is the absolute first time an extended warranty on any type of computer or electronic device. So I think somebody upstairs is looking over me, thank God. Um, so all's well ends well. You know, Initially, what happened uh, when, when I spilt the beer on it is everybody got to see publicly on on the video. And you guys were, uh, I meant as I went through the process of turning the
1: computer upside down, I went downstairs and I uh, washed it out with some water. Oh. So that's yep. the part where I just kind of cringe. I'm thinking, what? What did so you do? I, well, I wanted to get the beer out of it. So you put then it I underwater. Took, <laughs> no, no,
2: I took a, I took a very wet paper towel and just kind of rubbed it over and cleaned it up. Then oh. I took my air okay. gun and and pressure. You know, I used high pressure air to get the water out of it. But then after I was done with that, I looked at my uh, food saver. Only problem is the plastic bag that I had wasn't wide enough for the computer. It's just a little bit small, so I came up with contraption using uh, shopping bags uh, and also uh, a um, um, a trash bag, the 13 gallon white trash bag that you put in your, your kitchen uh, trash bin, and I used that with the uh, little little hose that comes out, and I use rice and suction on it. And let it sit there and kept on hitting the suction for three days and let it sit under suction and it actually came back to life. So that's a good sign. Uh, the screen actually had some damage to it. So, you know, worst case scenario, $299. Stupid me. Yeah, but oh, it sounds, sounds like drink it's, beer.
1: Yeah, you're going uh, <laughs> really to get the to do anyway. that
3: every show, Dana, because, I mean, at least for I, the next I, year. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's obviously not costing you anything to have it replaced. So just, you know, don't worry about it. Just keep spilling beer. It's not a problem. I've got my wife's computer
1: right now. <laughs> oh, no, I can go that well, there far. There you go. No harm, <laughs> no foul. So, But the ratings went way, way, uh, yes,
2: yeah, <laughs> way up. The, the, uh, the beer is way up. Yes. Quite literally. The beer is way over here to the right. And uh, bottle... Which even if it spills, people know that you know when it comes out of the ball. Doesn't come out as quite as quick as a, a very top heavy, wide open glass that you know the Stella glass I was drinking out of. You know, all I do is bump it. Well, okay, I was at the the uh, what's Founder's Brewery here in uh, Grand Rapids, and I sent uh, the crew, APG crew here, a picture of the first beer I've had since that happened. You know, I went to pick it up. I knocked half the beer out of the damn glass. I sent the photo of that. So,
1: yeah, me guys, and beer don't get along. We told him uh, that he needs to, like, maybe stop drinking beer. Stick with your Rock, burning Broadway on the rides. Or whatever.
2: <laughs> and not, not including how interesting my Tuesday was. Were you, were you flying Tuesday, Jeff? I think I was. Tuesday afternoon? Yes, I was flying
1: Tuesday afternoon.
2: Did you have the wonderful delight of, of the experience of flying
1: into Hartsfield with all the delays and diversions? No, because Tuesday I flew from Detroit to Fort Lauderdale and then back to Detroit, and I, I did see the all the thunderstorms uh, hanging out over Atlanta as I flew by.
2: That was very nice of you. Least yeah, anything do. that could have gone wrong on Tuesday went wrong. It was a, uh, it was a nasty day, and oh, I didn't get paid one extra penny because I had five hours worth of credit on my trip. Oh, uh, uh, it it's. Uh, do you want me even to go into what happened on Tuesday? Since I've already talked about the apple,
1: uh, yeah, sure, why not?
2: Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, keep going. We're 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 very interested. What happened on? <laughs> no, <laughs> I hear crickets. What you do? Huh? It must yeah. be a bad connection or something. I, I don't hear. It them. must
2: be. So yeah, because I'm cavitating today. Yeah. Did you have um, to divert? Yeah, well, it started out with the, the uh, strong thunderstorms in the southern Louisiana, southern Alabama, southern Mississippi. So they decided to route the inbound aircraft over the northern Louisiana uh, area, northern uh, Alabama, northern uh, Mississippi. So as a result, the aircraft got in late. When the aircraft got in late, we were late, of course, leaving out of Houston and ended up coming into Atlanta. And we missed the window by about, well, get you guessed it, about 20 minutes. We ended up holding and up breaching bingo fuel, diverting to Savannah. And, you know, you know, uh, Savannah is not the best uh, location for uh, operational performance. And it took us two and a half hours of sitting remotely to get fueled and get redispatched out of Savannah. Um, and everything that could have gone wrong, the lavatories were overflowing. Um, passengers didn't want to get off the aircraft, even though they were offered. Uh, the APU was blowing low, low air, you know, didn't have a whole lot of air pressure, so the aircraft was hot. Um, tried and coordinate getting dispatched. dispatch, and, of course, just as they are about to come fuel us, it ran out of fuel. So had to go to the fuel farm to get fuel. And, of course, you know, it takes 20, 25 minutes. Well, by the time the truck got back, the ramp was closed due to a thunderstorm on the field. So we're starting to finally get our fuel, finally get our paperwork, start to roll out of Savannah about two hours and 20 minutes later. And go to take off on runway the you know runway two eight one zero in Savannah, which is the long runway. There's a a, a thunderstorm right on the end of runway one nine, so we can't take off that way. And we go to take off, and now it's just past dusk. It's dark, and the runway lights were in op because it got struck by lightning. I mean, if anything could go wrong, everything went wrong. So then we take off. Finally they fix the lights on 28. After we switch everything to runway one nine to take off, I mean uh, runway 1 take off north. And uh, so we take off head to Atlanta. Air traffic control slows us down, of course, and you know, they put us in another holding pattern. Finally get into Atlanta, land, pull into Alpha 9, A9, and the jetway is broken. <laughs> I mean, broken like they couldn't move it to even get it. So they had to tow us to Alpha 17. At that point, by the time we got the passengers off the aircraft, seven hours and 14 minutes from Houston to Atlanta. Nice. Yes. That's not the end of the story. Now we're taxiing out to go ahead and head down to West Palm Beach. And we had just gotten down to the, the, the uh, – talked to controllers. And they said, well, your flight plan just timed out. Refile. So we refiled, filed, and uh, in that time, went from being number one for the runway to I you don't know whatever it was. So we take off, head down south, get clear direct, which is the first good thing that happened down towards Palm Beach. of get the fix, whatever it was, Wallace whatever, get down there, and now we're number three for the airport be- behind two Acme jets, and uh, they land first, and then we land. And the, the the folks there in Palm Beach ops say. Well, we're going to handle you in order, sat out for another 27 minutes waiting to get parked because we were the third airplane, not the first, which we would have been if things hadn't gone so badly at the gate. And then, of course, having to get uh, a new clearance. So 27 minutes later and the icing on the cake, once we parked the aircraft, well, fortunately, the hotel van was there. Then we went ahead and took the hotel van and I get to my room and guess what? The air conditioning system didn't work. I go downstairs to the very friendly front desk agent who was not, non-apologetic, and said, well, we're sold out. Sorry. You're going to have to deal with it. Fortunately, the earlier agent came back in to grab something from the, you know, from they left inside, and said, "Uh, what's the matter? And she told the story. So said, well, yeah, we had three no-shows. Oh, you know, she she said, okay, uh, takes, takes care of it. Puts me in the room and the absolute on the cake, get into bed because I want to decompress for a few minutes at 2 o'clock in the morning. By the way, that's five hours later than we're supposed to be there. And I go to turn the TV on with the remote control. The darn remote control didn't work. At that point, I just said, I'm done. And went to bed.
1: That was a long day. Dab. That just was painful, listening to all that, Dana. That
2: was, it, was, it, was,
3: it was a very painful day.
2: It was
1: Dana was Mr. Mr. Good Luck.
3: Colton. I spent longer flying to Atlanta than your whole day.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you didn't work, have, to have to work one quarter as hard.
1: I had a bad day. <laughs> I think that song uh, that somebody sings, I don't know what the artist's name is, but uh, I think they, they, they uh, created that song for you. You had a bad day. Right? That was a bad day. Dana had a bad day. We have a good day because Dr. Steph has joined us. doctor? She is a doctor hey. of Doctor? Psychiatrist. Doctor? Doctor. A marathon runner, doctor. skydiver. Doctor. doctor. Just all around doctor. great doctor. person. Doctor. Doctor. doctor.
0: Doctor. doctor, doctor,
1: doctor, 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 Stephanie Plummer.
4: Did they say doctor more than usual there? That was a lot of doctors.
1: Yeah, I played that that clip a little bit longer than it normally runs.
4: Gotcha. <laughs> That's from very... uh,
1: Spies Like Us, I think.
4: Yes, I think I've asked before because I I know I've seen the movie, but I just can never remember which movie it's actually from.
1: Yeah, but yeah, They're in well, thank a tent. you
4: for the the wonderful introduction sorry i'm late joining i just drove through a really awesome thunderstorm to get here like the kind where you know the lightning's directly overhead and it's like flash and then like it shakes the whole car and you and hear
1: the uh, you see the lighting and you hear the thunder at the same at time, the same time
4: yeah, yeah that happened just I as i was pulling into the driveway um <laughs> you know sheets of water like sideways like someone's just dumping a bucket on your car the entire time
1: mm. so
4: that was that was fun so I apologize for my tardiness.
1: Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, we were kind of all, you know, really being drugged down by or dragged down by by Dana's story about what happened on Tuesday. And uh, it was, it had, thunderstorms I'm, had a big part of, uh, to do with it.
4: <laughs> I missed that story. I was actually listening in the car on the way over here from, from work, but um, I missed that part. Cause it was. Yeah,
1: he didn't have a good day.
4: I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: I no, it's much anyway. better now. Good. Good. He's up in uh, Grand Rapids, which is one of the best cities in uh, our country, uh, the United States, for craft brew. Yeah. In fact, he's drinking a curmudgeon. Nice. Yeah. In honor of
3: Captain Nick.
4: In honor, of course. Yes.
3: I've never been drunk before. Actually, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) You know what what I mean, David.
2: (laughs) Uh, well, yeah, that's true. But
1: <laughs> it's one it of those curiosities
4: the English language.
1: <laughs> it does it is, say old exactly. curmudgeon on it, on it, so old curmudgeon. Wait a minute. You're, we're saying that, Captain Nick, you're not... Potable. I guess not. I guess I'm not, no. Oh, I've tried <laughs> at times, but... <laughs> we don't want to hear about that.
0: No, you
1: don't. Uh, let's see. So, Steph. um yes. Let's see. Last Thursday, a week ago, right around this time, you and I were together in... Uh, studio two fifty recording yep. this show. And uh, then afterwards we went and uh, well, we went over to cowfish, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they said that'd be what? 45 minute wait, 45
4: minute wait. And it was yeah. like already eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. We said, no, thank you.
1: So we went over to tequilas and taco or something like that. was uh, Paco's
4: tacos and tequila. Paco's. Oh, that place, is awesome. that place. Yeah.
1: Oh, this yeah. is awesome. So uh, fantastic. We, we had a good time. And it was a little
4: noisy in there, but otherwise fantastic. Very
1: noisy in there. Yeah.
4: What? (laughs) I can't hear what you're saying.
1: (laughs) We had to write notes to each other. Oh, you know, respond by. It was the
4: table of loud teenagers next to us. I think. Yeah. Doing everyone in.
1: Absolutely. Food was anything. Anything uh, interesting happened to you since our last uh, recording?
4: No, had a very uneventful week and nothing exciting happening. I didn't travel anywhere. I didn't do anything. I haven't done any flying. Did some running, but that's about it. And. This isn't the running podcast, so we'll just...
1: No, uh, right no new engagements or anything? Or no, nothing still, like that. Still the same one that you have? Still, the same. still okay. the same. that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Consistency is good in that respect. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, the very next day, uh, that was the second day of... What was the first was day Thursday, of my trip? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next day, uh, I ended up in Columbus, Ohio. And had a meetup there at uh, the the neighborhood they call Short North, at the Short North Pint, and we had a wonderful, fantastic meetup. And let me play you a little bit of audio that I recorded while we were there. I'm vamping now so that my application will come up. Here we go. So let's hear the fun and frivolity at the establishment in columbus ohio all right we're here at the short pint where you can't get more than eight ounces in your glass of beer oh wait a minute no that was my mistake it's the short north apparently that's some kind of a neighborhood here up in uh, columbus ohio and uh, it's a great place great uh, great street lots of great restaurants and places but anyway we're probably at one of the best it's called the pint i think Short North Pine, but oh, anyway, it's a it's a bar with a lot of great beers, but uh, more importantly, it's uh, got a, a bunch of uh, great AB geeks. Uh, and so, let's see. Let me uh, pass the microphone around. We're going to start with uh, Bulge, yes. James Bulge. Okay, Actually, hang on.
5: on Hello, everybody, AB geers, Miami Hick. I love you. Um, you're the best. It's great to um, show Jeff the other part of Columbus, show what beers are about, but thank you for the aviation community for being so supportive. It's always great. That's what makes this hobby great because no matter our profession or what we do, we're all crazy aviation geeks and we love listening to ATC when we work. So I'll hand it off and hope everybody has a great time. Hello.
6: Jennifer here. (laughs) Thanks, James, for passing it over to me while I was completely unprepared. Uh, hello everybody in APG land. Hello! (laughs) We are, uh, we're having a good time here at the Short North Pint House. Um, just came here from work at a certain Midwestern medium-sized airport. Um, on my way out, I happened to notice there was a C-17 parked over there. But more importantly, there was a stairs truck parked next to it. Gotta have our priorities straight. Um, But it's really good to be here. Good to see everyone. We're having a good time. I'm going to pass you on.
1: I'm sorry. I had to steal the microphone back. I was in, um, where was I? Baltimore the other day. And I'm going to get something to eat. And I'm walking back to the gate. And I'm looking out the window. And there's this like double-decker stairs truck. And I almost ran over to the window with my phone to take a picture of it. Because I thought of you. And I thought, oh, Jen would love this. And then I thought, no, I don't have time. I'm sorry. So...
6: I'm so disappointed, Jeff. All right, passing the microphone on.
1: Hello, folks. It's John
3: Brown, uh, Flying Doctor 17. Uh, I came in today with my son, Jonathan, from the Toronto area. And we uh, saw some very interesting weather over the uh, Columbus uh, area. Uh, but we knew that uh, Jennifer was on it. And she got completely rid of you know, blew it out of the way, all the way to the southwest. So when we came, it was all clear and right down the ILS for... Uh, Two eight left, so we're enjoying our time in uh, Columbus, seeing the sights and enjoying the uh, the local refreshments in this uh, short North uh, pint bar. So uh, my son is with me, and uh, I'm going to pass the mic on to uh, get his impressions of um, uh, Av geeks and Av craziness. Well, this is uh, my first experience, and uh, all I have to say is you certainly are passionate. <laughs>
7: Uh, And this is a first for me. Uh, Excuse the the nasally sound of my voice. I'm kind of getting over a cold here. Uh, I guess in the interest of keeping uh, anonymity to my employer and my airline, uh, I could be ramp pilot Nick. I guess we could go with that. I work for a certain directionally oriented airline uh, that's based in Dallas. So take from that what you will. Uh, I also work uh, the ramp at a... What did you call it, Jen? A a medium sized Midwestern airport? Okay. Uh, So, work the ramp there. And this is the first meetup that I've ever been to. Uh, I've been listening to the show for uh, almost two years. So, it's kind of fun to have the opportunity to get together and and see some other people here. And, Jonathan, we're not that bad.
1: No, he kind of said that passion, like, wow. (laughs) No, it's great. Sorry that you got roped into this. I understand. No, you never hear my wife on the show, and there's a reason for that. Uh, many of the people who have listened to me for quite some time go, uh, they know the story, and my wife looks at me and goes, so let me get this straight. You talk about aviation for like two and a half, three hours at a time every week, and people actually listen to that, and then she just rolls her eyes. So there you go. So we understand. But that doesn't stop us from being super ab geeks. And because we love it, and uh, I know that if you're listening to the show out there, unless somebody's forcing you to listen to the show, you feel you know how we feel. So it's always a lo- uh, that's the best part of the show, getting together on layovers or even not on layovers, and just kind of hanging out with people uh, who share a common interest, and uh, it's a it's a fun. T- and these are quality people. but Hank James wants to say something else.
5: I was so excited, ABG I got a speeding ticket because I couldn't resist my EPG. So yeah james
1: uh, james drove all the way down from uh, cleveland and got a speeding ticket shame on you Gonna call him james heavyfoot Bulch? and uh, and then you know dr john didn't mention the fact that well maybe you did that you flew all the way down from toronto directly one shot and we didn't get one speeding ticket there were no cops up there excellent so anyway, we're having a great time. We want to we want to get back to our aviation geekdom, and so that's it. You're going to just have to suffer with the rest of the show. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> there we go. We had a grand, grand time. We had a grand time, great time. The combination of those two words is grained.
4: It's even better than the individual words. Yes. Grand and great. It's so
1: much better. It's yeah, twice yeah, as good. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, we had a, a fantastic time at the uh, the short North Pint, and uh, I, I loved uh, uh, Dr. John's son, uh, his comment, certainly do have a lot of passion.
4: <laughs> he was just overwhelmed.
1: Clearly, <laughs> I think so. yeah. Uh, anyway, and it's so nice that uh, Dr. John flew all <laughs> flew his own private airplane down from Toronto to Columbus just for the for the meetup. And, uh, that's just, that's just awesome. And by the way, he, uh, he gave me a couple of beers, uh, from an awesome brewery. I think it's the Muskoka brewery in Toronto or somewhere in that area. And, uh, I, I didn't clarify with him whether or not I was supposed to give one of those to you, Dr. Steph,
0: uh-huh.
1: but, uh, I accidentally drank both of them.
4: Drank all of them. Yep. Okay. Them. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: Sorry, but I have some good news. That I'll tell you in a moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, So that was the uh, Columbus, um, Ohio layover. Great time. And then uh, fast forward. uh, Let's see. I got back from the trip on Saturday and then I was back out again on, I'm getting confused now. When did I leave? Monday, Monday I left. So I had a day off on Sunday and then back out on Monday for a four day trip. And uh, if you'll remember me, describing this trip it's exactly the kind of trip that i don't like to fly because it starts late in the day it's the night shift and a lot and not only was it the night shift but it was also a very uh block hour heavy a lot of flying uh the first day was i think to dallas and back and then up to detroit the second day detroit to fort lauderdale then back to detroit and then madison wisconsin but that's the reason why I bid the trip because it had a 30 hour layover in Madison, Wisconsin. And I thought, uh, you know, I wanted to get up to, uh, to uh, Oshkosh, the Air Venture, EAA Air Venture, uh, sometime uh, the, this past, well, this week, actually, it's still going on. Uh, but I just couldn't afford to take the week off. I had to fly. And so I thought the next best thing is to bid a trip with a long layover in either Madison or Milwaukee. So I found the one in Madison, and I bid for it. I got it. And when I was flying from Detroit into Madison on the radio, we're talking to Chicago Center, and uh, we were just beginning our descent, and it was dark. At least the weather wasn't too bad. And I, I was flying the airplane, and my first officer was working the radios. And this guy from Chicago Center says, is there a Captain Jeff on board? And the first officer kind of looked over at me like, what did he just say? And then I said, I got the radios. <laughs> and I said, yeah, who's asking? And uh, it was Controller Joe working uh, that sector of Chicago Center. And he said, hey, I uh, listen to your show. I love it. Um, just listening to the feedback extra. I hear you're going to be up and um, I knew you were going to be heading to Madison and going to go up to Oshkosh uh, tomorrow. Just wanted to say hi and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up getting some feedback from him. He used the uh, the app, the uh, APG app, and uh, it says, uh, hi, Jeff. It was nice having our meetup on the ZAU or Z Alpha Uniform Frequency tonight. Hope you had an uneventful trip and enjoyed K-O-S-H, Oshkosh. We used to work that airspace to the ground. It was a lot of fun running all those airplanes in there. We still get plenty busy, but it is a different busy now. I'm glad I found your show. I really enjoy it. Uh, looking forward to hearing about the differences and ratings on your MD family of aircraft. Wishing you strong tailwinds and a shortcut and shortcut clearances on your last leg home, Joe. So thank you, Joe, uh, for and I was hoping that I could find our conversation on LiveATC.net. I did some preliminary searching. I don't think that that particular frequency is covered by LiveATC.net. I'm still looking, though. I'm hoping that I can uh, g- grab that audio and then play it for you all. But that uh, was great. It's funny. My first officer was just kind of looking at me like, what is going on? Who is this guy and what is he talking about? And You're like, uh, just I, don't worry about it. Famous. It's fine. I had mentioned that I do the uh, you know an aviation podcast, but I guess he wasn't really that impressed with that, and, and you know why would he be? <laughs> so I think when 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 this guy all of a sudden out of out of the blue starts asking if I'm on board, I think then all of a sudden his his uh, curiosity was piqued, and he's he's nonstop all the way down asking me all these questions about the well, who listens to your show? What yeah you know, what's what's going on here? Uh, anyway, it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Joe, for uh, for doing that. That that made my evening. I love it.
3: I'm still waiting for that uh, lovely guy who sent some feedback in, uh, who works as a Monkton controller. Yeah. To uh, to pipe up. And every time I go through Monkton now, I'm sitting there going, I wonder if this is that bloke. And I, I don't say anything because you know, nine times out of ten it's not going to be. So I'm just, I always try and get on the radio at some point when I'm going through Monkton in the hope he'll recognise
1: my voice.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Probably recognise your voice.
1: These, these, yeah. these, uh, this is old uh, dot pilot uh, checking in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, well, even sure. yeah. Um, anyway, so the next day it was, was kind of late when we finally got to the hotel, in Madison uh, got uh, got some sleep and headed out back to the airport the next day to rent a vehicle. Drove up to Oshkosh and met up with uh, several of uh, you in the uh, APG community up there. And uh, that was uh, that was a great time. Uh, when I went through the front gate there, I was met by Jen Niffer and uh, Dispatcher Mike and Dave Abbey. And we walked around for a bit and then uh, found a place to uh, grab a bite to eat because it was just uh, around the lunchtime. And found, uh, no, not found, but we had several people uh, come up and join us. And we were just kind of a... A big roving blob of aviation geeks uh, walking around, uh, looking at airplanes and talking about airplanes and and, uh, just having a great time. Um, I'm sure
3: there's a better um, name
1: for a bunch of aviation geeks, Jeff, a
3: roving blob.
1: (laughs) A big blob. (laughs) I was the blob. They were – it was kind of like – I'm like a – I have my own – Gravitational pull, apparently, you know, just uh, because I'm so big.
2: <laughs> you no, know, magnetic. I'm I'm big. You're magnetic. This magnetic is a personality. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, so, but you know, several people uh, walked up, and, uh, and some were even wearing uh, the uh, Acme logo uh, APG shirts, and just in you know, people that I've never met before, and say, "Hey, Captain Jeff, love your show," and and you know, le- you know, got introduced to them, and learned a little bit about them, and so many of them, I I just don't remember any of your name. Or no, I do remember some of your names. I just don't want to leave anybody out. So, uh, But uh, met a bunch of great people uh, there and uh, really enjoyed the show. The weather was kind of not so great on uh, Wednesday. It kind of off and on uh, was, well, it was cloudy the whole time, which was actually a good thing because it didn't get too hot. It was pretty muggy though, and off and on rain showers and that kind of thing. And in fact, at one point, Uh, We found ourselves underneath the wing of a DC-3, the left wing of a DC-3. I was talking with uh, Steve Thorne of the uh, Flight Chops channel on YouTube. Uh, Many of you probably uh, subscribe to Flight Chops. Uh, He does really, really great videos and uh, talking with him under the DC-3 wing. In fact, I think at some point, uh, either later that day or the next day, he was going to go up and do um, some kind of a segment or a video uh, production aboard the uh, Gold Seal DC-3. And uh, the weather kind of got a little bit. Uh, rainy and the visibility started coming down. In fact, I was kind of impressed that they were continuing with the show. There was a, a demonstration team out there doing some some fancy stuff and I'm thinking, wow, it's like really, the visibility is really kind of getting bad and you, you could almost not even discern the ceiling at all. And then finally the announcer came on and said, we're going to take a break, you know, for like 30 minutes or so and let this kind of roll by. And so there was a little bit of a quiet time and I uh, was able to pull out the uh, good old Zoom H5 and capture a little bit of audio. Now, this is just a, a fraction of the, the, of those uh, there part of the APG community, but that was who was there at the time that I started doing the recording. So here we go. Let's take a listen to that. Well, folks, everybody's been talking about Oshkosh for years and years and been chiding me for never attending, and I was hoping to be here this year, here, oh, you know where I am now, don't you? Uh, But uh, I needed, I I just didn't have, I couldn't take the time off, And but the second best thing, I was able to bid for a trip, which had a long layover in Madison, Wisconsin, which is not too far from Oshkosh, uh, about an hour and a half drive, so I rented a car, I got into Madison late last night, rented a car this morning and uh, drove up and here i am i'm only here for a few hours i've already been here for a few hours probably going to leave in about an hour or so uh hit the road because i have a very early uh sign in tomorrow morning at the uh hotel in madison 4:30 in the morning so um won't hang out too long here got to get back but i'm here with some apg community members matt donemeyer right yep Hi, Jeff. It's, uh, fantastic to meet you, sir. I, 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 was really excited to see you and, uh, my first time at OSCOSH.
0: So super excited to be here. Don't know how I'm going to see everything that they got here. It's, it's, uh,
1: you, you see pictures, you see how big it is, but there's just, there's no describing it until you actually walk in and try to uh, start walking down the aisles. And it's just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming up. Well, I mean, uh, it's all my pleasure. Uh, Matt's a uh, dispatcher for a Part 135 outfit. Part 135 and Part 91. Part, lots of parts and numbers. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, his first time, my first time. Speaking of first-timers, here's another
7: one. You may have heard of this guy. Hello, APG. This is Dave Abbey. And, yes, it's my first time coming here, and it is absolutely amazing. Uh we're standing under the wing of a 1940s DC-3. I think it's for 1930s, whatever. And uh, I'm so glad that Jeff decided to come down and see what it's all about because it is so, so amazing of an event. So um, you can't see it all in one day. So, Jeff, we hope you'll come back, of course, and I'm sure I'll be back. And just want everyone to know that Jeff is a celebrity here. <laughs> we, a few of us, like Jen and Mike, we met him uh We met him, had a few, a bite to eat, and Jeff's wearing his airline pilot guy t-shirt. And as we're walking after lunch, I'd say at least four or five people saw the shirt and came up and said hello, introduced themselves. And even while we're eating, a couple people came by who, you know, they don't usually leave a lot of feedback, but they, they know the show and they saw Jeff and they... He was a celebrity. I think he signed how many autographs today? <laughs> at least one or two. One. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least one. I know he sold Comanche at least one. Signed somebody's book. He signed a book. Comanche Sue. So. Comanche Sue. And Comanche Sue, you, you made her day. By the way, she was oh. always wanted to meet meet you for sure. She made mine. Uh, that's right. It Goes two ways. <laughs> Somebody said that. Okay, uh, back to you, Jeff. Thanks again for making the trip. Hey, thank you, Dave. Uh, always gr- great to see you. Uh, I've
1: seen Dave a few times in New York. And, uh, yeah, it's always great to see, uh, AV geeks, uh, part of the APG community. And a lot of the, most of the people are not part of the community. We got to work on that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's always a lot of fun to, especially to come, you come to a venue like this. And, uh, you know, you all, if you're listening to the show, you understand, uh, people who have a passion in aviation, whatever small little slice of it you have a passion in uh it's just always great to gather with people with common interests and uh it's always um overwhelming for me to just see people that i've never met before and they're wearing (laughs) they're wearing an acme shirt and they say hey you know, love the podcast and uh, love the show and uh, appreciate what you're doing. And and I always tell them, you know what, it's it's a selfish pursuit. It's uh, something that I just enjoy the heck out of doing. And and I'm, I'm not just saying this. Uh, it's the best part of doing this show has been, you know, meeting all the people that listen to it. So uh, I was hoping that we'd be able to record a little bit of uh, Dispatcher Mike and Jennifer. They were uh, they have their media credentials. They went over to some kind of a Blue Angels uh, media event, and uh, they were going to make their way back to where we are right now, but we still haven't seen them. It's kind of been raining off and on here, and they decided to shut down the uh, air show for about 30 minutes, and then they're going to resume it, I guess, if the weather uh, participates. Uh, but the uh, the ceilings and viz uh, kind of started getting pretty skosh here, so they decided, uh, for safety's sake, to go ahead and uh, pause the show for about 30 minutes. So, uh, so why it's kind of quiet here. You don't hear a lot of uh, airplanes and, you know, engine noises and that kind of thing uh, going on right now. It's kind of quiet, but it's nice. It's cool. Wind is blowing, and for the moment, it is dry. <laughs> so that's uh, that's it. Our little small snippet from Oshkosh. I just realized something. Yes. Well, Steph wasn't here when we started the show. <laughs> I mean, I didn't just realize that. What I what I mean to say is the reason why I said that is that I just looked down, and I thought, "Huh, I forgot to hit the record button." <laughs> <laughs> Did so, you really? Yeah, but I'll be able to pull audio from the uh, from the YouTube uh, recording, but. It's well, not as
3: no, no wonder you missed it, Jeff, with those
1: shades on. <laughs> well, I saw Dana with his you shades know, on, so I thought I need to put my shades on, too. And then I uh, look over, and Steph's got hers on as well. I yeah. didn't even realize There's you guys were one. wearing
4: your sunglasses.
1: There's <laughs> only one
3: that doesn't have the shades on.
1: Well, that's because
3: mine are <laughs> reactive. I mean, they don't turn dark until the sun's out.
1: Ah, okay.
2: Uh, anyway. Well,
3: I, just saw mine sitting,
2: I saw mine sitting over here, so I figured
3: I'd put them on. Oh, you look cool.
2: Yeah, looks great,
3: are... great for a podcast.
4: <laughs> yeah. I, bought, I think I bought these for like $2 at a gas station. So
1: They're kind of big, but uh, I, I like the look.
4: They're good for the lake because <laughs> if I lose them in the water, I won't be sad.
2: You don't care. Exactly. I lost a very nice pair of beans.
4: I but... have two. It sucks. Yeah, well... Yeah.
2: Did you, did you hear about the uh, wide receiver for the Falcons?
4: Oh, yeah. His like $100,000 earring. $150,000 $150,
2: earring. earring.
4: Yeah, I yes. heard about that.
2: He hired a professional dive team, could not recover it.
4: <laughs> wonder how much that costs too. Oops. So
1: what's Oops. the moral to this story? Uh, don't don't buy a $150,000 earring. In the lake. Don't wear $150,000 Don't even buy one. In the lake. What the, what's the yeah,
2: point? At
3: the lake. Come on, really?
1: Yeah.
3: I reckon he can probably afford it.
1: Yeah. Julio Jones. (laughs) Julio Jones. Oh, boy. Hey, so uh, that was our, well, and as I said, it was just a a small fraction of the uh, number of great APG community members there that I got to uh, spend time with on Wednesday. Um, One of those we talked about Doctor John Brown before he flew his airplane from uh, Toronto to Columbus, but he also flew his airplane from Toronto to Oshkosh, and he brought with him more beer because he knew that I drank all the beer that I was supposed to, some of the beer I was supposed to give to stuff, and so he he gave me twelve. Be- look at how he, look at how thoughtful this guy is. These are all wrapped. Can you hear this? It's bubble wrap. Each one is all wrapped mm-hmm. in bubble wrap. By the way, this one here. I almost thought about just keeping it and not telling Steph about this one, but I like that <laughs> one.
2: But none um, of them are nice. They're all wrapped in bubble wrap. And
1: yeah, not. well, they're not cold right now because these are the ones that I've set aside to make That's sure that I get to stuff. That's to Jeff from drinking so I, that they if,
4: actually make it to me. If,
1: if I unwrap them and put them in the fridge, eh, it's not going to be a good thing. This they're one's good a really good. I'm enjoying this one right now, Steph. It's a... Uh, a session um excellent yeah it's really good too so anyway i uh, just wanted to say thank you again dr john for um oh dana's getting all choked up about something um hope you're okay but um anyway thank you dr john for that uh, he, he kind of pulls this this uh backpack out and uh, i, I I, he kind of hands it to me and I go, whoa, <laughs> it's like, whoa, that's heavy. I and mean, these are not like 12 ounce cans of beer. Th- beer. They're like
4: the 16 ounce They're 16 cans of, cans cans of mm-hmm. beer.
1: And I thought he said he was going to give me nine, but I think it turned out to be like 12. And I thought, well, no problem. I'll just put them in my backpack. I have my backpack with the the Zoom recorder and the microphone and all that kind of stuff. And by the time I got this thing full and it was packed with 12, 16 ounce cans uh, it was very, very heavy. In fact, so heavy I was like at times walking around. I had to lift it off my shoulder. In fact, my shoulder, my shoulders are still sore from the straps on my on my uh, backpack. Anyway, but it was worth it. Um, well, great. thank you,
4: Doctor John. I'm looking forward to trying. Well, no,
1: don't thank him yet. You haven't gotten him yet.
4: Well, I'm assuming that I'll be able to thank him.
1: So he also gave me, in addition to these beers, a CD. I don't know if you can, uh, those of you on the video, uh, you can check out this thing here. It says Jazz It Up and Brenda Scott, um, uh, the female jazz singer here, who happens to be Dr. John's wife. And if you look closely, if you're watching the video in the lower left hand corner, you might recognize this guy. It was uh, probably about 10, 11 years ago, I think. If I looked at the uh, date correctly on this, I think this is 2006 when they recorded this, is uh, Dr. John himself at the keyboard. Dr. John is an awesome jazz pianist. It's amazing. I I, I just today opened the thing up, stuck it in the um, CD player in the van, and I was running up to Home Depot to get some, some plumbing repairs to do today. And I was listening to this thinking, oh, my gosh.
2: That's what she said.
1: Yeah plumbing repairs are important um oh my gosh this is like really really high quality good stuff his wife brenda has got an amazing amazing voice jazz singer um, and this is my music I, it's just awesome i was going to play a little bit of it for you but uh, the old white macbook where it's the only machine that i have that has a, a cd player on it and so i could rip the cd and get and play you some of it but uh, i don't know something's it's ailing and it wasn't it, it was not a successful oh. ripping job. So I'm going to have to figure out another way to get this music so he can listen. Because I asked John, I said, is it OK if I play some of this on the show? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're more than welcome to. But he's like tickling the ivories. And uh, what I mean by that is playing the piano keys. Uh, and it's amazing. Uh, really, really talented. And so I'm thinking hmm. I sent him a text or a, uh, a tweet direct message so John maybe I can send you the sheep music to Java Jive and oh no that'd be cool you could like play and maybe even do some harmonization with your voice and I could sing along with that that might be kind of fun instead of me trying to pluck it out on the piano I mean if on a scale I'd be at one out of ten and John is a ten out of ten that's amazing. So, good stuff. Dr.
4: Pilot Pianist.
1: I mean, awesome. a talented man. Super talented. Wow. And uh obviously uh he knows what it takes to attract really attractive women and very talented women as well. You know. Cheers. Hey, I'm that's worth a toast. Here Cheers. we go. Clinking glasses and cans. Yeah. And uh
3: mm. Absolutely. Anyway, a great bloke as well.
1: You, oh, yeah. I mean, he's the most modest and uh, generous man you'll ever meet. I guess I'm going to have to title the show The Dr. John Show. No. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Um, Dear John Show. <laughs> the Dear, Dear, John, the Dear no, John. No, you don't want to. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, continuing here, um, Hillel sent in something to us, an audio something, um, not his Slack announcement, but something we had talked about, uh, legal disclaimers and he sent this to me a couple of weeks ago and I'm just now getting around to, uh, to, uh, downloading it and listening to it. And so it's going to be at the end of the show, but just so that you have the opportunity to hear it because, you know, many of you listening right now are probably not going to make it all the way, to the, all the way to the end. So, Here, let's listen to the little legal disclaimer that Hillel sent in.
8: Statements, views, and opinions expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast.
1: I think that does it.
8: <laughs> yep, it about sums it up.
1: Absolutely, just a little louder next time. I'm please. sorry, I, I <laughs> didn't realize his volume was so loud. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah, uh, that was that was all my fault, not not Hillel's. Uh, all right, so uh, thank you, Hillel, for doing that. And again, we'll play that at the end of the uh, end of the show. Uh, and we were just talking about Dr. John and uh, his wonderful piano playing and the possibility of maybe uh, doing some java-jivish stuff in the future. Let's get to... Uh, oh, by the way, I don't know if... Did anybody notice last week we kind of I changed? Noticed. <laughs> I, I thought noticed. thought
4: of it as I left. As I was driving home, I was like, you know what we did not do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think i thought about it around the same time or perhaps the next day oh shoot we forgot to do the coffee fund
4: the order up of things it just threw yeah it's all off
1: it did yeah it really if we
4: do that in the future we'll have to like write down things we have to hit.
1: yes well you know what it, it was it was always it's always nice being with Steph, and uh but it was kind of cool because she was like you know doing stuff with the soundboard um you know very well in fact you know she should probably become the soundboard operator Uh-oh. but uh uh one thing that she's not good at is reminding me to do the java J for the uh, coffee fund but yeah nobody's perfect (laughs) i'm far from it so speaking of the coffee fund let's get started the coffee fund johnny how much more coffee it's your way to participate in supporting the, the airline pilot guys love show me. if uh, in a financial way if you have the resources to do so and since not the last show but two shows ago uh, sorry all of you who <laughs> contributed and uh, weren't acknowledged but we're acknowledging you now and those folks are chris randall Elizabeth Piper, Liz. Thank you. And a very, very generous uh, contribution by Aaron Ort. So thank you very much for that. And I'll be uh, contacting you, Aaron. Uh, I believe you are uh, that's the first uh, contribution to the show. And I'll ch- tell you how you can listen to the APG crew logs and that kind of stuff for being a supporter of the show. We do appreciate it. And uh, going over to the Uh, the, uh, what do we call that, Patreon side of things where you can become a patron of the show. I received this pledge by this guy named Bill Leach. And I'm thinking, oh, that's funny. I I used to know this guy at um, a parish uh, that I used to attend and I used to sing in the choir with this guy. He was a a bass and his name was Bill Leach. And I looked at his uh, email address and I thought, Son of a gun It is the same guy And so I don't know What he's doing Listening to An uh, aviation podcast But uh, thank you Bill For contributing To the Airline Pilot Guy show And uh, it's a very Interesting pledge amount $2.29 per episode I don't Maybe there's some kind of A message in Numerology or something there That I'm just completely Not getting But thank you For the very Very nice Uh, pledge and your patronage uh, to Patreon, the airline pilot guy show so we do appreciate that and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again soon and catching up with what's going on with you and your family and stuff over at St. Andrew if you're still over there. Anyway, it was always a pleasure to uh, sing with uh, Bill in the choir. Now, let's move to this week. Uh oh, the song's almost over. That's okay. I can keep going. Since the last episode, we've had uh, a few folks use the classic method of the uh, coffee fund, and those folks are William Metzger, Tony Stubbings, Steve Trumbull, Matthew Lane, and Jonathan Dahl. Now, I knew a Bill Metzger in the Air Force, but I'm pretty sure that's not the same guy. (laughs) I don't have any idea. I don't even think we had email addresses back then in the... uh, in the 80s, did we? No, that wasn't probably until the 90s. Yeah, so I don't know who this William Metzger is, but if hey, if you're that same William Metzger that we were in pilot training together with, uh, send me an email. That'd be a, that'd be a, an interesting coincidence. Okay, so there you go. Uh, the Coffee Fund. You too can become part of the Coffee Fund cadre by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com/coffee and uh, support the show.
3: Stand by for news.
1: I don't know how long we've been going already, but, uh, we're just now getting to the news, <laughs> but, oh, well, uh, let's see. I told you at the beginning that we have an update on the, uh, I said the, the flyby at San Francisco, the air Canada, close call. Uh, this article from mercury com says air Canada, close call at SFO was even worse than first reported. The, uh, Air Canada Airbus 320 was the aircraft that came in within seconds of a major collision with two other aircraft on July 7, 2017, when the pilot of the plane mistook a crowded taxiway at San Francisco International Airport as the runway he was supposed to land upon. New data revealed the pilot had already flown over the tops of two other aircraft on the taxiway and descended as low as 81 feet above two other planes before aborting his landing attempt wow, that's uh, they have some data here. They have a graphic uh, showing the uh, actual altitude readouts and plots where the uh, airplane was and the various, uh, let's see, three United flights and I think a Pakistani Airlines flight um, on the taxiway. and
4: Philippine Airlines, I think.
1: Philippi- oh, okay. oh, thank you. Philippine mm-hmm. Airlines. Um, I think that was a big, heavy one as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Probably. I don't know if Probably. it says here what it was, but... I know that there was at least one, perhaps more, 787s there in line. United Airlines flight number one, I'll bet, is a big airplane. He was the one that uh, we heard last week uh, stating it looks like the Air Canada jet is lined up on the taxiway. And uh, that was, I think, uh, one of the critical moments of this event uh, that kind of got everybody's attention there. And I think that's what really kind of uh, encouraged or spurred the air traffic controller to finally issue the go-around. And apparently, the go-around um, didn't start until the air traffic controller basically told them to go around. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll put a link to this uh, in the show notes. But it this really, really, you know, at first we were talking about this thinking, oh, look at the hysteria, it's probably no big deal, but it turns out that this actually may have been a very close call and it could have been the, the biggest aviation disaster in history. Do you hear Cedric?
4: I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey Cedric, it's a long time, long time since our folks in the, uh, on the show heard Cedric. He's still alive. He's 18 years old and, uh, he's wow. upstairs in uh, the guest room and, uh, he's squawking away. But, uh, Anyway,
3: Why, did he nearly hit Cedric as well?
1: Yeah, maybe. He was getting upset about the whole incident, apparently.
3: That's fair (laughs) enough. 81 feet's pretty damn close.
1: Oh, yeah.
4: I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just, as a lowly general aviation pilot here, I'm just scratching my head wondering how you wouldn't notice as you get that close that those are actual aircraft in the way and do something about it well before then. Even at night in the dark, you know, tired, fatigued. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: You could so. tell, you know, based on the fact that he was asking, are there airplanes on oh, yeah. our oh, runway? That there was something, something wasn't right. But it wasn't enough, I guess, to concern them to enough to initiate a go-around on their, on their own. You can kind of see, and, and this is very well uh, discussed on many other aviation podcasts out there, and in, including um, Captain Al and Pilot Pip and uh, Pilot Pip's latest episode they talk about this in uh, uh, quite a bit of detail about the fact that uh, the runway 28 left was not in use and didn't have apparently didn't have the lights on. And so you're expecting to see two parallel runways and you see two sets of lights and it's also possible I think Pip made a good point that the or maybe it was Al. Uh, that uh, the LED lighting that we have now in place in a lot of places, uh, you know when it when it's very bright, sometimes it's hard to discern between green and blue and white. Um, so it may have looked very much to them like a runway. Uh, so I don't yeah. know.
4: I mean, I think no matter which way you cut it, there's a lot of human factors here, obviously, yeah. so um, there was an interesting question in the the chat room that I'm curious about too for. Nick or whoever wants to tackle it because no one here actually flies the A320, but assuming a normal descent rate, how much further do you think the aircraft would have sunk before positive climb after they initiated go-around and toga power?
3: Well, it wouldn't have sunk me further because that's the lowest he got. So presumably right. he started to go around probably around 100 feet would be my okay. guess because we expect to lose perhaps 50 to 70 feet in a uh, go around so if we uh, do a go around from the minima of a cat 3a approach decision height 50 we would normally expect to possibly touch the tires on the runway so 50 feet but uh, it depends really uh, on how uh, and this is a big factor uh, how quickly you uh, will pitch the airplane uh, if you do a, a gentle pitch up on a big jet it takes a lot of time to change the momentum that's carrying you down uh that wouldn't be such a problem on a 320 but even on a 340 if you pitch the airplane smartly uh, then the airplane's going to level off pretty damn quick and will certainly start climbing away pretty damn quick
1: yeah and uh i you know i think that the in the older days when you know, propeller airplanes ruled the skies I think that as soon as you put power to a propeller-driven airplane, it's almost instantaneously going to be arresting the rate of descent and, and beginning to climb. And in the world of jet aviation, even when the engines are spooled up to a certain extent, it just takes a little more time for the power and thrust to uh, translate into you know, a force. And uh, you have that – that uh, what, what we call that um, – momentum uh, heading – or inertia heading downward. Um yeah, And, you know, uh, Captain Nick just made the a very good point that on those low visibility approaches, they tell us that uh, you expect that you will actually touch down uh, on the runway before it, the airplane starts climbing if you're initiating it at, you know, 50 feet or below. Yeah. So.
4: Well, it's interesting to look at the, the graphic that they give in this article. What was this from Mercury News? Mm-hmm. Because it actually plots out the altitude along the course of the taxiway of the Air Canada Air Canada aircraft. And it's... Over the water before they actually reach ground and the uh the taxiway there it's 138 138 131 119 113 and then all the way down to 81 so that's kind of in line with that 50 feet or so you know assuming as they r- got right to that point you know right as mm-hmm. they cross the i guess quote unquote threshold of where the water meets the land and initiate their go around there that sounds about right
1: yep well so Luckily, things worked out in this case, and there was no major catastrophe, but uh, I'm sure that uh, you know, we're going to learn a lot about this incident, and uh, hopefully we'll never, ever see this kind of thing happen again.
3: Well, no, that's right. I mean, uh, normally, if you uh, could imagine an incident of uh, landing on another aircraft on a runway, as happened at LA, as I recall, mm-hmm. um, an aircraft landed on someone that was uh, stationed on the runway waiting to take off. Um, that's just two aircraft involved, but this had the potential to uh, involve three major passenger carrying uh, airliners. So, plus the incident aircraft itself. So, uh, I mean, that that could have been an appalling loss of life.
1: Yep. Well, speaking of appalling, this is an interesting story. Several of our community members uh, sent in feedback regarding this incident in uh, India. Air India has grounded two pilots who forgot to retract the aircraft landing gear after takeoff and then flew all the way from Kolkata to Nagpur with the wheels out. While the flight's destination was Mumbai, flying with the wheels out meant flying low and more fuel burned due uh, to which the plane had to land at Nagpur after running low on fuel. The pilots realized that the wheels had been out all the while, only while preparing to land at the divert fuel uh field uh so you know they came to the point okay we need to lower the gear oh it's already down oh that's why we're burning so much fuel that's why it's so darn loud in here uh climb
4: and we were going so slow oh geez
1: yeah the lapse happened on uh air india flight 676 uh july 22nd saturday uh, after takeoff, the pilots forgot to retract the landing gear as a result. The brand new Airbus A320 continued to climb at a very low climb rate. The plane finally gave up climbing after reaching an altitude of 24,000 feet, as the extended landing gear meant very heavy drag. It then leveled out, continued flying at 24,000 feet as opposed to the uh, usually assigned level of 35 to 37,000 feet, and flew at 230 knots for the next one and a half hours.
4: Well, now I have to stop here because I actually like the way that Captain Jeff read that article because he left out one thing that I know a lot of uh, my fellow female pilots took uh, umbrage with a little bit is that this article specifically states, and I think they only actually did it once, but it says they they specifically clarified it was both the women pilots.
1: Right. I figured that if this had not been women pilots, I don't think they would have said both the men pilots exactly. forgot to retract That's the, the
0: landing gear. Of course, very specific. Yeah, and but so very I thought
1: I thought there's no there's no point in mentioning that because these thank are just you. pilots. It doesn't matter, right? Exactly. <laughs> so but well, the article you.
4: felt the need to. Uh,
1: well, thank you. Uh, I, I was hoping that we that would just go by without anybody noticing. <laughs>
4: oh no, no. I, the only reason I bring it up is just because it it actually got this article in particular has I've seen it many many times from many of my female pilot uh, friends. Oh, it's been getting
1: some uh, some some flack?
4: Some flack for the fact that they specifically pointed out that it was women pilots.
1: Well, it should. And, and just, you know, it's... It, uh, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but... Uh, no, no, I didn't
4: mean to. I just wanted to... No, I know
1: I know. I know. I know. What I'm trying to say is that, I, you know, we're we all want to be... It, it's, you know, we're all qualified pilots if you are if you've done what you need to do to be qualified to fly and do this kind of job or be a doctor or whatever then it shouldn't matter uh, whether you're a man or a woman gender shouldn't make a difference uh, that reminds me of the uh, that uh, that little riddle that sometimes you hear and you talk about a, a guy was out uh, a man was out with the Sun and they're like climbing uh, mountain climbing and the Sun falls and uh, gets a, a big uh, heavy you know, head damage uh, and they bring him into the hospital and they bring him into the emergency room and the surgeon looks at the boy and says, I'm sorry, I can't operate on him. Uh, I can't operate on my son. And then you go, go, well, why is that? And then (laughs) many of us, you know, because of stereotypes, just assume that the surgeon is a man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, how can it be that there, you know, of course, nowadays it could be that, uh, well, anyway, I don't really want to get to this. I mean, I'm, I'm digging myself a big hole here, apparently. You, you are, Jeff, yeah.
0: but I'm going to
3: say is that on an airline not uh, very dissimilar to Acme Red, um, flying uh, the apparent queen of the sky, or as I like to call it, the Dowager, um, they uh, did exactly the same thing. And I believe that was an all-male crew. Um so uh, they got airborne and uh, for some reason they got distracted, left the gear down, climbed up and it was the plane's not working very well. We're trying to work out what's wrong and they all started looking around the cockpit trying to work out why the hell the damn thing was performing so poorly.
1: Did someone notice they still had the gear down? So, uh, oopsie, it, it happens with an all male crew, yeah, as well. Trust us, men have done all these mistakes no, absolutely. <laughs> many, many times <laughs> in the past. <laughs> it's nothing new, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in fact, even today, I mean, I was on this last trip that I flew. Um, the airplane that we were in apparently it was heavier than what we thought it was and what the paperwork said it was because it was just. So, you know, wasn't performing very well as it got higher up in altitude. And it's like one of those things where, you know, the first officer and I are looking around thinking, okay, what did we forget? Did we okay, the gears up and all the flaps are retracted and the slats are, you know, everything is where it's supposed to be, but why is it acting like this? You know, it's just, sometimes that happens and you kind of have this little tiny thing in the back of your mind going, did we remember to do everything? Is there, what is it that's really obvious that we're not noticing and in this well, case, there, it was just fine.
2: There, there are checklists, and if you don't follow the checklist, then you tend to miss things. Yep. And l- unlike, uh, I, I don't know about the uh, 320 or 321 or uh, 319, but I can assure you on our airplane, if the landing gear is out, you're going to hear it.
1: Yeah, that's true. On our it's airplane, be loud. The wheels, uh, the nose wheel is basically right. In between the first officer and the captain, you know, like right right below us, right about that point. Now, now I think
2: the Airbus is, you know, it's further back behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit behind them. So I don't know if they would hear the rumbling, but I don't know, or, or feel the rumbling or, under, you know, hear anything abnormal. So I can't really speak for that airplane. But uh, on, air, uh, on our aircraft, we'd absolutely know if the landing gear was still up.
1: Yep. Huh? <laughs> all down, all down. Um, what are you saying uh, over there? <laughs> uh, <what'd you> say? <laughs> really Something loud you? in here.
3: <laughs> now, Matt D. in the uh, chat room is asking, uh, he, obviously, uh, yeah, the doors uh, might have been damaged, but he says, uh, but not the gear. It's rather steady. Well, you're quite right. All the, the major mechanical components of the gear are pretty good, but there's an awful lot of uh, hydraulic pipes that uh, are in that wheel bay and travel down the gear. Uh, to the brakes etc that aren't stressed necessarily to be hurtling around at uh, 400 knots so uh, there is a chance of course you could uh, dislodge hydraulic pipes uh, and end up losing the brakes for example but uh, it, I, it sounds like they got away with it quite well.
1: Yeah and James asks in the chat room um, you know isn't there an alarm that goes off and no, usually it's so obvious that, uh, you know, the gear is still down that we don't have any kind of a warning system to let us know, you know, hey, dummy, you're you're way up high and you're several minutes uh, from takeoff and your gear is still down. Let me tell you that you're doing something wrong. On the other hand, we have alarm systems that do warn us when we're coming in for a landing and it goes, okay, we're this far above the ground and the gear is not down. So now I'm going to start warning you of that. And landing, yeah yeah landing gear. landing gear or in the old yeah. days it would and just be general
4: a, aviation aircraft a lot of times that have retractable gear will have an alarm system too it's a really annoying
1: mm-hmm. buzzing
4: that,
1: that reminds me you of this
4: you're like ooh. Okay.
1: that reminds me of a story that somebody told i don't know if it's true or not uh, back uh, uh world war Two days um an, a guy was coming in for landing and uh, landed gear up and they were interviewing him after the fact saying well didn't you? Uh, didn't you know that the gear was wasn't down? And he says, "No, this obnoxious noise was like distracting me. I didn't. I couldn't think." <laughs> Well, that was the noise that was supposed to warn him that the gear wasn't down. So, Exactly. Yeah.
3: Now, uh, the Airbus also cooks, works a uh, lights-out policy so that when everything's in its right place and it's, it's one of those temporally moved things, lights are all out. So when you glance around and do a scan, you scan around the cockpit. If you see something illuminated, you always look at it and make sure it's either a temporary condition or exposed to be like that. So uh, the fact that they had three green uh, gear lights on the panel in front of them uh, should also have been a bit of a giveaway
1: hmm. oh well you know it's it's been done before and it will be done again unfortunately but uh, luckily much it was much more
3: likely to come in with the gear up than yeah. it
1: is to get to leave <laughs> that's true I mean if it if it was going to be one of the situations or the other I would rather it have the gear down <laughs> and yeah, divert yeah, yeah. and let's try this again instead of yeah. coming in and forgetting to put the gear down That's. I
4: mean they did realize they were you know burning through too much fuel and they had to land and figure that much out so
1: and miami hick uh, makes a good point you don't really need a warning system for the landing gear up because uh you can tell that you landed with your gear up because it takes full power to taxi to the gate (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: the only thing i'm gonna say is when you if if you ever end up in this situation when you realize what you do don't reach across and select the damn things up now (laughs) because you've just been done all sorts of possible damage to it, having oversped the gear for such a long time. They're down and locked. Leave them down and locked. Go back and land. Don't risk cycling them now when you might end up crunching doors and doing all sorts of dreadful things and not get them back down again in a safe order. So uh, just leave them down and go and
1: land. That's right. Keep what you have. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And finally, in our news folder, uh, the, the headline... From the New York Daily News, clash between Delta Airlines pilot and flight attendant delays flight at LaGuardia Airport. And then they continue. A Delta Airlines pilot and a flight attendant flew off the handle Monday at LaGuardia Airport, causing a two-hour delay, sources said. The 54-year-old pilot, that's age discrimination, I think, right there. The 54-year-old. You know, I'm
4: actually, I'm actually kind of impressed that they didn't mention the age of the women pilots in the last story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I have a glaring omission. About, they were probably young. I don't know. Uh, Over the hill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the 54-year-old pilot had a dispute with a 26-year-old flight attendant prior to takeoff aboard the plane bound for Portland, Maine. So I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, LaGuardia, Portland. I don't think that this airline flies from LaGuardia to Portland, and it doesn't. It's the uh, regional carrier that it has an agreement with. So it's it was not Delta Airlines. Although, if you fly on this airline from LaGuardia to Portland, you'll think that because your ticket says Delta and everything that you look at says Delta, the uniforms kind of look like Delta uniforms. But guess what? It's not Delta. It's a connection carrier and affiliation with Delta. But regardless, this should not have happened When you have an uh, argument or a disagreement with one of your fellow crew members, you don't – this is not performance art. You don't do this in front of the passengers. And apparently he called her a piece of uh, fecal matter. And uh, apparently another source said that his conversation was racist, inconsiderate, and unprofessional. So they don't mention – the races of these folks in here, but we can all kind of imagine, uh, you know, what the situation was. And it's just like unfortunate that this kind of thing happens, whether it be crew members or passengers or both. Um, But uh, many of you sent in uh, feedback regarding this as well. So I thought we'd just quickly mention that in the news segment. Anything to say about this folks? Not a
4: whole lot. I mean, it's just a professionalism thing and it, Goes for multiple professions. Yep.
1: So. Yeah.
2: No, I don't don't have anything to say because people, people just don't. uh, It's a lack of respect anymore.
1: Yep. I have something to say. I completely forgot. You know, we were talking about the uh, Columbus meetup. My best friend Derek, and my best friend Doctor John, they both uh, gifted me with something. This is uh, uh, if you follow us on Twitter is a, a beautiful model that um, Derek created. well, he didn't actually create the model, but he he uh, customized it with the Acme Airlines logo on uh, on several different sides, including the tail and the side of the airplane and the stand even has a has a customized um, treatment and uh, just wanted to thank you again, Derek, for all the time he actually said he took this and like sanded really ever so lightly to get the original markings off and then put the uh, the more appropriate ones on so uh,
3: i thought when you said he sanded it it was to make it look all worn like a real one
1: (laughs) that's part of it too (laughs) anyway so i just wanted to make sure that i thanked you again derek for that that's a beautiful looking model i like it yes so Before, all I had was uh, like a little miniature diecast. Is that the one
4: where the tail falls off?
1: Oh, yeah. It just fell off my hand.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Improvements. Yeah. yeah. Well
1: done. All right. Uh, Let's see. And now it's time for the best part of the show. Your feedback. Captain. Incoming message. Okie dokie. Let's start by visiting the feedback folder where where I'll see this from Frankie. Good afternoon, APG. I hope you're all well. My name is Frankie. I've been listening for over six months now and have listened back to episode 200. Needless to say, I think I have the dreaded APG syndrome APG syndrome, A-P-G. A-P-G syndrome. A-P-G. We're sorry Frankie but you're not alone many out there listening right now have it and uh, we're still working on a cure uh, Steph, any uh, any updates on the uh, In research progress. okay In progress. okay good. So, uh it's been uh, a m-
4: yeah your your coffee fund donations actually go to a cure so really you didn't know that but
1: yeah and and uh it would be nice if they were tax tax deductible but they're not (laughs) (laughs) they're not yeah uh he goes on it's been my lifelong dream to become a pilot first in the raf the royal royal air force and then to join an airline but due to me completely losing my sight over a six-week period 12 years ago when i was 20 it looks like that uh, that may have been set aside, unless I fly Airbuses with the buttons for takeoff and land. <laughs> Only joking. Uh, actually, my favorite aircraft is the Airbus A340-600. Huh. Sounds like he's sucking up to Captain Nick to me. Um, we,
3: it, we can do with some of that. If there's too much <laughs> boinging around here. Uh,
1: so he goes, Douglas. he goes on. He uh, goes on. If you will allow, I have a question and a funny story about flying blind. Captain Nick, you mentioned that Lagos. How'd I do?
3: Yes, not bad, Jeff. Usually usually you say Lagos.
1: I know. Lagos. Well, it's L-A, so I'm thinking that's... Yeah, there's no R in it. Huh? No,
4: he never puts an R in it. I
1: never put an R in things. You do that.
3: (laughs) You 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 have lots of R's. (laughs) you a very big R.
1: But when we do, no, when I, when there is an R in something, I you you'll hear it. <laughs> but in this case, I I never say I say Legos or something like that. But not not an R. Oh, yes, you do actually. Yeah, yeah, Lego. So like leg like building bricks. Legos uh, is your favorite least favorite place to visit. Why is this? Back to his feedback. um So, Nick, why is Legos? Your least favorite place to visit, and and well, now Lagos. I just want, yeah, that that place, <laughs> and Lagos, um, and, and just remember that uh, there there could be some people listening uh, well, that that's exactly may what take offense I'm, to it. <laughs> tread, <laughs> tread a little carefully. Yeah, thank because,
3: you. Uh, um, you know, we we uh, we all have our pet likes and dislikes. I mean. Uh, uh, New York has some airports that uh, are pretty third world. Uh, Lagos Airport, they work very hard to maintain a safer uh, possible environment as they can, but with, without a doubt, I'm sorry to say that Nigerian airspace, just statistically, uh, let alone uh, by personal um, uh, you know, uh, discovery, uh, is uh, unfortunately not one of the safest countries in the world uh, to fly. Um so uh that's obviously one area. I prefer flying to uh, countries where the air traffic control and uh, the aircraft that operate there don't have quite as many accidents. So that's kind of one area. Um um the uh, the second is that it's unfortunately uh, not one of the safest countries in the world. It's certainly not one of the most dangerous. And uh, of course actually the city is fine uh, where we go, but uh, it's one of the few countries where we have, uh, you know, darkened glass in our crew transport, and we have police vehicles uh, in front with lights flashing and armed guards. And when we go to our hotel, it's in a armed compound, and we're told by the company we shouldn't leave. So uh, that, and combined with the uh, possible health problems of uh, catching malaria. Uh, Nigeria and that part of Africa is, uh, unfortunately, malaria-carrying mosquitoes, which have the uh, falciparum strain of uh, malaria, amongst other things, which is the one that gets in your brain, the the really nasty one. So it's from that also. It's not one of my favorite places to go. But having said that, you can catch West Nile fever in uh, New York, uh, and you can catch malaria uh, somewhere around Gatwick. It's not common, but in the past we've had people go down with malaria there who live there and have never been abroad. And that's only because, of course, occasionally you get uh, a malaria-carrying mosquito gets off an airplane and goes and bites somebody. Um, So, yeah, there there are hazards all over the world, uh, and we shouldn't uh, really pick up one particular country. But those are the main reasons why I'm not a great fan of.
1: That's um, the reason, you know, malaria prevention is the reason why I drink a lot of gin and tonic. The tonic. Oh, the quinine. Yes.
2: Quinine. Quinine. Different, different
1: pronunciations. You say, I potato, if I you. Like I say potato. I say potato. I What's quinine? That's the way we pronounce it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, I don't call it legos. It's legos. Lego my ego.
1: <laughs> so basically uh, ego. getting back to uh, legos. Lagos, um, legos. Lagos. Legos. Legos. What am I saying? Lagos. So why I when I'm saying it, I'm thinking say I'm saying Lagos. it. And what you are you
3: say saying? Lagos, it's legos. Legos. Lagos. <laughs> <don't hear> <laughs> what is so the difference L-A-Y, between the Lagos? Two? Yeah. Lagos. You say L E G O S. It sounds like. Not Legos
2: to me, like to you my find at, the, uh, okay. at at Toys R Us. It's not Lagos.
1: Okay. It's Lagos. The African city that starts with an L. Uh, is what <laughs> we're talking about now. And uh, so basically three safety related things. Safety flying safety, uh, health safety and Crime, safety. crime, safety, right? So you know,
3: physical safety. There, yeah. There's a lot of terrorism and uh, you know, a lot of disruption. Goes that makes on. sense.
1: That makes sense. Okay. Um. So he, uh, goes on. If you will allow, I have. Oh, I just read that. Never mind. Uh, my fellow blind friend told me a funny story, about when he flew a couple of years ago. He was flying out of a smaller airport with his trusty guide dog for work, when the dog started whining. He knew this meant that the dog needed to go to the toilet, but having passed security and sat in the gate area, it was not apparent to him the best spot. He then found a crew member of airline staff to help, or no, a member of airline staff to help. Overhearing the conversation, the flight crew for the return leg was standing next to him and the airline staff member and heard the problem. Fortunately, the pilot loved dogs and stepped in to help. You can all see where this is going. He said that he would take the dog outside onto the apron to find a spot to do his business. My friend was really grateful and handed over the dog. Ten minutes later, my friend sat waiting, thinking it doesn't take his dog this long to normally pee. And then he heard a commotion over by the door to the gate. To cut a long story short, apparently there were a number of passengers refusing to board the aircraft as they had seen the aircraft's captain walking around outside with a guide dog. When I was told this, it really made me chuckle. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that joke, I think, a few times in the past. Um, Have you guys had any experience flying with, quote, proper assistance animals? Not those imposter ones like pigs, ducks, and monkeys? I'm thankful that I live in the UK where these animals are not common. I do plenty of flying for work and pleasure and hope to bump into you guys at some point. Pun pun intended. (laughs) That's good. That deserves. Get it? He's going to bump into us because he's blind. No, okay. Well, um, yeah, I, I guess yeah, at I mean, one point he was blind. He's not blind now. Sorry. Uh, a bit of a tasteless joke for you to have a chuckle out at. How does a blind skydiver know that they're approaching the ground? The lead goes slack. Yeah.
2: Oh, bing. <laughs>
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> did I miss something in there? Because it, um, he, uh, Frankie mentions he went blind uh, at 20. Uh, did he regain his? Well,
1: I don't know. That's what I'm assuming from this. But I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood. Uh, he said he went blind, totally blind for six. Where is it? I'm no, to over took no,
3: six, over six, six weeks for him to go totally blind, and that was twelve years ago, I think. I oh,
1: think so he so he's still completely blind then.
3: I think he may be. So. Ah. Uh, okay. So, so I think he's. <laughs> I think he's perfectly totally entitled. So otherwise, it would be very tasteless jokes.
1: <laughs> and it would be very tasteless of me to read them on a podcast like this one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So. But I think you can get away with it. You can get yeah. away with it here
4: because it's Frankie.
3: Frankie.
1: Yeah, yeah, Frankie. Um, Frankie told me to read this. It's his fault. Yeah. He says um, that I'm, I'm he's from. Uh,
3: sorry, you didn't get a chance to <laughs> to uh, fulfill your
1: lifelong dream, Frankie. It
3: yeah. sounds like a, a tragic moment in your life. But by the looks of it, you've certainly uh, regained your sense of humor.
1: Absolutely. You have a good sense of humor and we do appreciate that. Um, he's from, is it Reading, Just outside London? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yay, I got it. Here, where's my bell? I could look on my soundboard, but it's much better to play the real one. There we go. Very nice. Okay. Moving on, Ross in England. Hi, Team APG. Hope you are all well. Now, I have to confide in you that he sent this back on the 3rd of July.
3: Oh, I think his chocolate may
1: have melted. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Or been consumed. <laughs> Sorry, Ross. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to read it anyway. Uh hope all are, all of you are well. This is uh, hopefully a simple question, but contains critical travel advice. We've let Ross down. Uh, we, we're traveling to the US in the next few days. <laughs> he's probably back by now, <laughs> yes. and have been asked to bring vital supplies to our relatives in the form of many bars of British chocolate. These are essential goodies along with digestives, which are biscuits, translate, translated, this means cookies. and PG tips which is tea of the bag variety and not iced and sweet. Fortunately, I, have been, I haven't been—I have been asked to bring Marmite, which is the yeast extract we spread on toast-like jam. But when I say jam, I mean jelly. Although jelly in England is a sweet gelatin product we eat for pudding with ice cream. Although, do you guys say pudding? I probably should have said dessert. <laughs> <laughs> it's so confusing, isn't it? I'm lost. It's oh, yeah. like
0: two
4: okay, so Your
3: pronunciation is wonderful.
1: Oh, thanks. Food. Are you I making fun of much. me again, my yeah. pronunciation?
3: No, no, it's all perfect. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm, coming, I'm, I'm congratulating you. Oh, thank you.
1: I thought you were being sarcastic again. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I thoroughly recommend Marmite on Chips to the APG community, although when I say chips, <laughs> no, he goes oh, on and oh. on. I mean English-style overgrown French fries, not American chips, which we call crisps hey, tomato, tomato. So my question is, what temperature is the cargo hold kept at? Uh, Is it similar to the cabin or perhaps cooler? I'm trying to figure out if the chocolate will melt or not and if I can eke out an excuse to eat it all before we get on the plane. Thanks, guys. Any tips? Much appreciated. Well, you know, we're going to give it to you a little bit belated, but it is my understanding that most of the cargo bins in airliners are not heated, or if they are, they're not heated to a, like a, a, a comfortable temperature for a human. Uh, and no. it, it, usually there's one or two that are, uh, because we have, uh, for instance, on the airplane that Dana and I fly, the uh, number one bin uh, does have some heater blankets, so that that's, where, that's where we put live animals uh, when they're traveling as cargo. Uh, we don't want to put them in any of the other bins because they could end up being um, what, what you, uh, Or a Petsicle. Petsicle. Popsicle? Pepsicle? A A Popsicle. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I'd imagine it's probably similar in other aircrafts. Uh, Captain Nick, how about yours? Are they all heated to some extent or?
3: Uh, well, they they get um, they get the exhaust air from the cabin in mm-hmm. the main cargo holds, which is uh, obviously by the time it gets down there is cooler than above. So it's certainly not uh, it's not freezing down there. But the uh, only in our aircraft, although other air buses differ, um, the only cargo hold that is heated is the bulk cargo hold, which is like the uh, trunk, uh, as it were, if it was an American car, or the boot if it was a British car, which is where we chuck a lot of stuff that's kind of loose and uh, uh, we don't uh, put in containers. It just goes in there loose and is, uh, you know, held down by webbing, etc.
1: Is that like uh, toward the uh, the back part of the airplane? Yeah, that's the,
3: fi- the final, the most rearward cargo hold. On okay. that one, we have heaters in and uh, if we do carry live animals, that's where they go. Uh, and it's they're not just chucked in and netted down. Actually, there's a whole list of regulations required. For us, for two, four, Phil and i uh, I'm all I know they'll feel mm-hmm. like I'll go down to the back alley and shout. It's okay, Fido! You know, we we'll keep going, mate. It's only another five hours. <laughs> um, but no, we can uh, we can keep them nice and warm. We try not to get any frozen tacos down there.
2: You know, I, uh, yeah, I can uh, speak with I first, can speak with authority. Uh,
4: frozen tacos. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, poor taco. Poor taco. Poor taco.
2: I can speak with authority. It's the exact same thing on the 7-6, um, only because of experience and, and, and uh, being a former ramp guy. Uh, we know that uh, on the 7-6, that's exactly the same place we would place the uh, live animals, the pets, in, in the back bin on the 7-6 as well, because it's the only place it was heated.
1: So, I guess the uh, the the bins that are not specifically heated with heating blankets and that kind of thing, you could say are maybe more like a cool cellar temperature or something like that. They're not.
2: Uh, beyond cool cellar. Yeah, mean, okay. You're talking ambient air, you know, ambient air outside. I mean, there's been several cases of documented freeloaders that fall asleep in the bin. Mm-hmm. Without saying anything more than that, but uh, that have ended up in locations that they shouldn't have been. Baggage loaders that uh, uh, end up uh, really cooled off because you you get into the you probably get into the the uh, 30s even into the 20s in the bins. It gets pretty cold up there, mm-hmm. so not heated. And the ambient
3: air temperature will affect the bin completely. But certainly, our luggage never comes down with. It, it frozen. I mean, it's no, sometimes.
2: no, 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 no. I mean, it's it's about freezing down there.
3: Yeah, it's about freezing, but
2: certainly it's not going to be it's not going uh, to be comfortable temperatures.
3: No, it's not exactly first
2: class
1: conditions down there. <laughs> not no. exactly. No. Now, uh, in in uh, stark contrast to those uh, people that uh, try to catch a ride on an airplane and they end up in the uh, landing gear bay. Where it is not only not heated but it's not pressurized either and you know the there have been a a handful of cases where people have actually survived i guess because it got so darn cold they kind of went into a state of suspended animation and uh and usually the the younger uh more fit uh folks who have managed to get themselves into these situations uh sometimes actually survive if they don't fall out when they when they lower the gear (laughs) Yeah, that's happened a few times, too, which is not Oops. pretty. Messy. Yeah, a little messy. Yeah. Kind of like a frozen taco.
3: Miami Hicks, they're saying that last time he was on a Mad Dog, he took his uh, his pet with him and he was able to feed him during the flight by dropping peanuts through holes in the floor. <laughs> uh, no.
4: <laughs> and he also said if the flight was on a 787, the chocolate would definitely melt.
1: <laughs> yeah, everything will. Those, those hot batteries. Yeah, that's one. That's one of the the pluses of having those hot batteries. <laughs> <laughs> kind of warms everything up. That's right. It's toasty. <laughs> okay, uh, Nick. Not Nick. Yes, not Nick Anderson, but uh, Nick Nicholas Griffith writes in and says, "Oh, he's also uh, calls himself SoCal Nick, so he must be." Wait a minute. He says he's in Northwest Arkansas. Maybe he was originally from Southern California. Anyway, uh, a humid hello from Northwest Arkansas to you, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Rick, Mm -hmm. Captain Nick, close enough, Captain Dana, and all of the APG community. I've noticed that most, if not all, the MD-88's ACME flies into X-ray November Alpha, which is Northwest Arkansas regional um, here, are equipped with new LED landing and fuselage lights. Have you flown aircraft equipped with these new lights? What's your opinion of the light system? Thanks for the amazing show you guys do. I'm a proud APG syndrome sufferer. There should be some APG syndrome T-shirts. Oh, yeah, you're right. We should do some T-shirts. If you're going to suffer, suffer with pride. Keep the burners burning and the turners turning. Talons, Douglas. And again, this is, oh, now he calls himself XNA, Nick, not SoCal, SoCal Nick. Um, so, yeah, um, many, if not all, Dana, of these uh, airplanes, at least the wing landing lights and some of the other lighting, at least I have not been in any that have the taxi lights yet converted to the LED uh, version, but uh, definitely the wing landing lights um, in many of the airplanes that I've flown recently uh, when it's dark outside, and you can tell, uh, do have the uh, the new LED uh lighting systems and um i I like them
4: i'll just say that uh you know on the md 80s or md 88s the lights are so far out there on the wings it makes the aircraft look huge in comparison to all the other landing aircraft
1: it's it's worth compensating yeah exactly
3: (laughs) (laughs) now i'm curious is it like my led torch where you turn them on with one press And if you turn on another press, they dim. You press another press, and then they strobe. You press another one, and they flash, SOS. And then you press another one, and they turn off. Is that the way it works?
1: Yes, exactly. I think it's the same company that made your torch. (laughs) (laughs) Or what we call in the U.S. flashlight. Um, (laughs) Yes. um, No. No. They they just come on, and then when you turn them off, they they turn off.
3: Do they penetrate as far as uh, your old halogens or whatever you
1: used to have?
9: That's what she said.
1: Um, no, yes, they do more. So, um, right. they, it, it's a, it's a, it's a brighter, more intense light. I think, uh, obviously those of us f- familiar with led lighting know that it's a, it's a, a what a colder temperature lighting, uh, as opposed to the, the, uh, other older lights. Um, uh, what's the, now I can't think of the name of the, uh, technology, the, Trans sodium Um, actually incandescent. I think is what we're still using on the on the uh, taxi lights. Um, Really? Well, maybe not. Maybe maybe it is halogen, but they have a kind of a um, a warmer temperature to them, uh, more of an orangish kind of uh, look to them. Not orange, but you know what I mean. More yellowish light, and the um, and the LED lighting is warmer. Warmer temperature. Yeah. Yeah, and the LED lighting is much more. You know, looks more blue uh, white. Uh, then, uh, but I, I I like them um, much more so than some of the new LED lighting we see on the runways. Um, although uh, they've kind of worked all that out uh, to kind of lower the intensity. I, uh, Nick, were you flying when they first came out with the LED yeah. lighting at some of these airports? It's like yeah. wow, could you turn quite,
3: them down? Yeah. Absolutely, I quite like them. Now they may measure the same number of lumens, uh, but uh, they are quite piercing. I find I actually quite like them when they're at the right intensity because they're they're small and they're bright and they're very precise. Whereas right. the older lights were a bit softer and a bit the the glows spread out a bit more. But you feel like you can really sort of very clearly discriminate the runway with uh, LED runway lights. But uh, no, I've never landed with LED lights on the aircraft. Uh, I'm curious to know what what that must be like. I've flown past several because mm-hmm. of course uh, the the bin liner has got. Uh, LED strobes, doesn't it? And LED beacons, so they're pretty bright.
1: Uh, Orson in the chat room says, "Not very good for HUD, though." So I'm wondering, does that somehow interfere with that technology? Don't, I don't
3: know. know. Hmm. Don't know. Don't have a HUD on
1: mine. Uh, we don't either.
3: Do you have a windscreen?
1: We do have a windscreen. Uh, otherwise, it gets really, really windy.
3: <laughs> you end up, up, up with my hair job. You end up with my hair job right here. See? I just, yeah, I just assumed you guys had helmets and goggles.
1: Is that why <laughs> Is that why you gave me the leather helmet and goggles, Captain yeah. Nick? <laughs> Thank you. He was concerned about your health <laughs> there. You i keep you warm. Jeff. Thank right. you. Yeah. Cozy. and... He really does love me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh Miami Hick. You're such a you're such a jokester. <laughs> when will the mad dogs upgrade from lanterns to LED? <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, gotta
3: go through Carbon Arcs first, didn't
1: we? <laughs> the whole yeah, evolution. Yeah,
2: lighting the light, the candles out there and the lanterns, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: All right, moving on. Uh Corey. Hi, it's Corey again, pipeline pilot guy. That's the PPG. For those of you in the know, thank you for reading my last feedback. It made my day, and most of the company called me on the radio to say they heard it, uh, so that was cool. So we're talking about you again, Corey Cave, Pipeline Pilot guy, and everybody listening that know him. He's cool. All right. Uh, thank you, Captain Dana, for comments, and I definitely agree about learning as a CFI. Just a quick update, I'm currently in Dallas in ATP slash CTP training, and the next step is my October 1st officer class in Charlotte, which cannot come fast enough. Although I'm a Boeing man, I find myself knowing more about the Airbus systems in this class because of Captain Nick's systems rants. This is why we need Miami Rick back. He put all that in capitals. I didn't want to yell into the microphone, but that's him yelling. Well, I hope we can have a meetup in Charlotte and have some IPAs. I have a little challenge for all of you. My airline uses the Speedbird symbol, but it's not in the UK, although it has been around for almost as long. What airline am I talking about? Well, it's back to studying for my written, but I wanted to say hi and wish me luck with this 1455 question question bank. Uh, Oh, also, congrats, Dr. Steph. I guess he's talking about your um, recent engagement. And he says, thank you, Corey Cave. P.S. Since I think Captain Nick conveniently stepped out of the room during my feedback, Boeing, disclaimer, I wrote this on my cell phone again. That's okay. We're not going to hold that against you. And he used, by the way, the uh, feedback feature of the app on uh, whatever type of phone he was using. I'm not sure what kind of phone it was, but anyway. Um, So who wants to tackle this one?
4: I know the answer to his question. I think... Okay. You can tell me if you agree. Um, is he talking about the airline Piedmont that has the little bird symbol? I don't know. I don't know if that's referred to I don't know the answer. As speed bird. That's my guess.
1: Oh, the speed bird symbol. Oh, see, I thought, you know, when he said speed bird symbol, I thought he meant this speed bird call sign. But you're right. It's a Not symbol. Not the
4: call sign, but just a, it's kind of a picture of a bird that looks like it's moving quickly.
1: I I think you're right. Piedmont, although Piedmont's not around anymore.
4: Well, as a regional, it is.
1: Oh, that's right. It is. Okay. Maybe you're right. Corey, you'll have you'll have to uh, let us know if uh, Dr. Steph nailed that one. And um, Piedmont,
4: yeah. I mean, I did all my flight training in Winston-Salem, so Piedmont was big up there mm-hmm. back in the day.
1: Oh, yeah. I was thinking of the old Piedmont that ended up be eventually becoming part of well i guess now it's part of american
4: yep it was
1: u.s US airways and then yep anyway um yeah um next time we have a well starting in october and on um if we have a a meetup in charlotte or we don't need need to have a meetup but uh it'd be kind of fun to meet you Mm -hmm. we'll let you know
4: Yep. let me know i'll be around i can
3: i could tell you some more stuff about the airbus
1: yeah, Nick would be happy to inform you some more Do some more of his system rants <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard uh, Captain Nick actually rant about the Airbus systems But I don't know, no. maybe I was not paying attention <laughs>
3: I'm merely trying Just, to form. This inform Does Nick speak French?
1: Um, I don't know, Do you, I don't think he does
4: He can say
2: He speaks the air Airbus obviously So
3: glaze. yes, I can do From yeah. What <laughs> this yeah.
4: This is my friend. We'll have two beers. This is my friend. He has the money.
3: Yeah, deux bières, s'il vous plaît,
1: mon ami, votre pays. There you go. That's all you need to know. There you go. <laughs> and Perfect. how about where's the toilet? That's another one. It's probably handy. Mm,
3: la toilet? I think you will have to piss in the no. street. No. So
4: Sunday
1: baño. I
2: don't de know. De <laughs> de de
1: I don't think it doesn't sound like oh no this does not sound French to me. okay thank you all right continuing uh Frick we haven't heard from Frick in quite some time he used to send us feedback all the time Frick in South Africa he says since I've moved to Cape Town and uh I'm uh frequently closer to Cape Town International I've noticed that the wide-body aircraft come in lower than the narrow body aircraft does the glide slope differ between the two types and so I'm thinking, hmm, scratching my head on this one. I'm thinking, I want, you know, I'm thinking it's probably an illusion. An
3: illusion. No, they come in the same. Oh, way. that's Is true. Else? Yeah. <laughs> Russian.
1: Yes. Um, so I, I thought. Well, I'm wondering. That that kind of made me think about the three-bar VASI system, which I don't really see very often anymore. I don't know, uh, Captain Nick. Do you? Ever um, encounter the the three bar VASI installations anymore, or has everybody pretty much moved to the PAPI systems?
3: I haven't seen one for quite a while, Jeff. Quite honestly, I
1: remember you know them when I was anyway. when I was flying the L ten eleven. The um, the uh, when you use the three bar system here, I'll read from the aeronautical information manual. Three bar VASI installations provide two visual glide paths. The lower glide path is provided by the near and middle bars and is normally set at three degrees. While the upper glide path provided by the middle and far bars is normally one quarter degree higher, this higher glide path is intended for use only by high cockpit aircraft to provide a sufficient threshold crossing height. And so the L-1011, MD-11, 747, probably 340, 330s as well um, would be using the, the higher Uh, the higher glide path and the narrow bodies uh, would be using the two lower bars. But again, as I said, most of the places that we go that I can recall um, have the Pappy systems. I I don't think that there's any kind of um, adjustment well, I know there's no adjustment that's the same, whether you're a narrow body or a, or a uh, wide body or high cockpit or low cockpit. Right.
3: I'm just looking at Cape town now to see what they've got. They've got Pappy's.
1: Okay, so I'm and
4: I don't think I've ever seen a three-bar Vassi
1: once. Yeah, they're always at the big, the bigger yeah. airports where the when you're going to get the big, yeah. the big jumbos coming in. But uh, yeah, um, I'm uh, the only thing I can say, Frick, is that I, it may be just not an illusion, but an illusion. Uh, that the, the bigger airplane looks like it's lower, it, just the same way that it looks like the, the bigger airplanes appear to be flying more slowly because they're just so big. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I, I uh, used to go there regularly, Cape Town. Uh, we stopped already uh, three or four years ago. And uh, I don't think there's anything uh, unusual about the approach in there that would make us look higher. I think everyone should do the same three-degree slope, so... I already kind uh, of answered
2: this
1: one. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. And then, you know, I he has a couple links in here. Um, one from you, uh, YouTube. It has something to do with drones. I've, I've forgotten to take a look at that. Or if I did, I've forgotten what it was about. So sorry about that, Frick. And the third thing that you mentioned here, the, um, the off-duty bomber pilot on vacation when... Um, flight attendants make a terrifying announcement. In other words, the captain suffered some kind of a health issue, and he ended up um, getting into the cockpit and helping out the first officer make the landing and all that kind of stuff. We did t- actually talk about that on, um, on when it happened, which was uh, more than a year ago, I believe. So, um, yeah. Thank you, Frick. Good, good to hear from you again. Hopefully we'll hear more feedback from you in the future. Um, now moving on. Masha sent some feedback. Y'all know Masha. She says a quick audio feedback from me. And so probably the best thing to do would be to push the clip, the little button here, and hear from Masha.
9: Hello, APG crew. This is Masha from Amsterdam, and I have a quick question for you today. I was browsing YouTube, and YouTube recommended a video to me from a channel called Captain Joe, he's an airline pilot and he makes um a number of uh, really nice videos. And one of the videos that I was recommended by YouTube, he talks about passengers applauding landings. Now, I remember when I was young and I would, you know, take family holidays, uh this was a regular thing. Every landing, uh, the whole plane would applaud. Nowadays that's uh, not so common anymore. So my question to you all is, when was the last landing that you got applause for? Uh, I look forward to your answers and uh, keep up the good work. Bye.
1: So she uh, sent a link in uh, to the YouTube video that um, she was referencing. And I I don't think, oh, I wonder if I should play it without getting permission I'll play a little snippet of it.
5: This question is an absolute classic. Can you hear the passengers' applause after a landing?
7: (laughs) Uh,
5: This question always makes me smile because I answer with a question. Do you applaud the lady at the supermarket after she has scanned all your groceries? Most probably not, that would look pretty weird. (laughs) But the question is, can we hear the applause? The cockpit door separating the cockpit from the cabin is up to two inches thick, bulletproof and very strong sound barrier. Now let's imagine a full Airbus A321 with approximately 200 passengers happy holiday passengers on board are just about to land at Fuerteventura. The plane gets shaken back and forth due to the crosswinds at the Canary Islands and the pilot manages a very soft landing. You're happy, the pilot is happy and you start to applause. <laughs> the problem is, depending on whether the pilot uses full reverse thrust to decelerate the plane on the runway It gets fairly loud within the cabin and the cockpit and it's very hard to identify your cheers. I've experienced a couple of times that my captain said to me, just after touchdown, Ah, a landing with applause. Did you hear it? (laughs) I was in safe landing mode, so I blend out a few things because I'm fully concentrated on flying the plane. So the answer is, yes, we can hear your applause and we're grateful for it. It just depends on how softly we land the plane, the amount of Cheering passengers and if we use full reverse on the landing depending on runway length etc. Every pilot is thankful for your applause, no doubt about it. It is a huge compliment to us knowing that you are happy and enjoyed the flight. There is no better feeling as to knowing that we have brought you safely to your home and destination. Therefore, thanks for watching, and don't forget to appreciate the work of the lady at the supermarket. She's doing her job as good as we do ours, but give her at least a smile instead of applause.
1: (laughs) That's um, Captain Joe's YouTube channel. Um, Very, very nice. I I had never heard of it. Apparently, uh, a lot of you out there already subscribe and uh, know all about Captain Joe. In fact... um, uh, Fabian says that uh, Captain Joe is actually a uh, first officer and met him once at my flight school. That's cool. Um, but, uh, you know, the only time I've ever received applause is when I actually was leaving the airplane. <laughs> Bam.
3: <laughs> Did you come back for an encore? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then I, I came back and I'm, ah, boo. <laughs> well,
3: funny enough, that noise you just made, I've heard that a lot. The, the boos. <laughs> boo. Really? No, I ain't
1: joking. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, the only, actually, the only time that I've ever heard applause is when our flight attendants do a shout out to any um, military uh, members on board. Uh, And it's our company's way of kind of acknowledging uh, those who serve uh, in and defend our country and the military. And usually that that, uh, brings up a, a rounding or a resounding uh, round of applause that we can actually hear through the uh, cockpit door. And, of course, we usually up front think, well, that was just a, a little bit of a belated uh, uh, reaction to our wonderful landing. Just kidding. No, we we understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I mean, uh,
3: to be fair, uh, the, the, the people at the front of my airplane uh, – who pay an awful lot of money for their seats, they're unlikely to applaud because they would consider that something the proletariat would do. The proletariat are sitting so far away that they will actually have to applaud, drum their feet, (laughs) smash all the crockery, (laughs) (laughs) and do other heinous acts for me to have any clue that there's something going on down the back of the airplane.
1: So in your mind, every single time you land, they're applauding.
3: No, in my mind, I'm the only bloke in the aeroplane. <laughs> <So, laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, self-preservation.
1: Exactly. I understand, and, exactly.
3: and Dana's attitude to this is quite right. If you get yourself safely to where you're going, yeah, everyone exactly. else is going to get there safely too. Safe.
1: Self-preservation is what it's all about. I think that yeah. I think that applauding uh, um, for landings is is more of a, a European thing, isn't it? Um, no, no,
4: it happens quite often in the United States. Really. I have been on multiple aircraft where passengers have applauded after landing for one reason or another. Yeah.
1: Wow. I would have
3: thought that most of the time it would be to break a feeling of tension. So something's not, you know, very comfortable, perhaps turbulence, the wind. It's usually
4: bad weather. I mean, I've seen a lot in like snowstorms or it's very windy or raining heavily and people are obviously nervous. Um yeah, and, and like Captain Nick, Nick said, I agree with that. People want to break the tension and they're they're on the ground, they're relieved, and for some reason that equals applause.
3: Yeah. Huh.
4: And I don't know if it's so much applause that they're applauding the skill of the pilots as that they're just happy to be on the
1: ground. you are still alive. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's just a, a mutual feeling amongst themselves that they're all still able to applaud. <laughs> I can still move my hands, <laughs>
1: my arms. Oh, man. Whoa, what's that? What's going on? Uh-oh, uh oh, control room tells me we are uh, receiving some breaking news. Um, the airline pilot guy, Show Incorporated, uh, has just received a letter. Uh yeah, um, oh. Yeah. Nice. This is from Messrs. Fluff, Guff, and Farter, international lawyers and attorneys. Uh, another one. Yeah, sir. Yeah, I refer to your recent broadcast in which there were several references to my client, Captain Al. Oh, no. I wish to bring you uh, to your immediate attention that your references to flatulence and smell in the PTUK UK kitchen or otherwise are wholly inaccurate. My client is deeply saddened that your show seeks to make such defamatory remarks without f- foundation. My client wishes it to be known that he wears charcoal-lined underpants and never flatulates. Captain Al has passed all emission tests both here in Europe and in the United States. We know
3: how those emission tests are fudged.
1: Fudged? I get it. Uh, (laughs) And is also a signatory to the Kyoto Agreement. Captain Al routinely operates a lavatory on a double or triple flush strategy (laughs) and for the avoidance of doubt has never followed through. My, I'm not even sure what that means. My client also wishes it to be known that he is a member of the following professional bodies. The Pudding Club, the Curry Club, the McDonald's Appreciation Society, both in the UK and the United States, and the Guild of Master Farters. Unless your show makes a full broadcast apology, my client will seek, formally seek compensation from the highest court in the land, which I understand to be run by a fellow under the name of Trump. Need I say more? I seek your compliance at your earliest convenience. Yours sincerely, and this is Reginald Isaac Meldrew Farter, also if, uh, I guess he's uh, used initials here, R.I.M. Rim Farter, (laughs) international attorney at law. (laughs) Okay, wow. Um, That's a bit deep. Uh, so, okay, so I guess...
4: HR has conferred with legal counsel, Yes, and um, yes, we would just like to quickly make a full and complete broadcast apology. Here you go. Done. We apologize. That's
1: it? That's it. It It is with deepest...
4: Mm.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're did sorry. not
4: prevent us from bringing up the topic in the future, so...
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
3: good point. Good point, yeah, we... We just carry on regardless. As we, long just as we apologize, apologize right? every time. Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
1: So as soon as, before right before you say Captain L, our apologies, Captain L. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, uh, we'll have to be uh, we'll have to mind our Ps and Qs, I guess. Um, wow. Kind of like stepping uh, on eggshells. By egg the way, chills.
3: I can probably explain what following through means. Okay. Yeah, probably. I just want you to use your imagination.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, that's something probably best discussed uh, off air. Yeah. Okay. I would say (laughs) Okay. Or APG After Dark? Yeah. Okay. Great. More reason for you to watch the video version of this. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Well, now would be a great time, I think, to listen to this week's latest installment of Plane Tales. Plane Tales. Thank you. The
3: Old Pilot's Plane Tales of degrees, knots, pounds and things. For such a modern mode of travel, in aviation we have a funny mix of measurements, the history of which is a fascinating thing to contemplate as we jet our way across the planet. The knot, our usual measure of velocity in aviation, goes back to the earliest days of sailing, when a log would be thrown astern, and as the rope attached was paid out, the number of knots tied in it that passed through the sailor's hands whilst an hourglass spilled sand for 30 seconds became a measure of the ship's speed. The log wasn't actually a log, although it was called a chip log. It was a flat wooden square weighted at one end so that it sat perpendicular to the water's surface and couldn't be easily dragged along by the boat. The knots were tied eight fathoms apart, the fathom being two yards long, which is the span of a man's outstretched arms. So eight fathoms was forty eight feet, albeit different nations had slightly different definitions of the exact distances involved, and a foot was, well, the length of a man's foot, of course. Just as an aside, The inch was the width of a man's thumb, and the origin of the word comes from the Latin for one-twelfth, and it was subdivided into three barleycorns, which was uh, the length of a barleycorn seed, of course. Now, a knot is a knot, and since the 1890s or thereabouts, it has been drummed into young seamen that a knot is a unit of speed, namely one nautical mile per hour, and that, consequently, only the uneducated speak of knots per hour or knots an hour. A knot per hour would, of course, be a measure of acceleration, not velocity. The reason we hang on to such an archaic measure is that a vessel travelling at one knot will cover the equivalent of one minute of longitude or latitude at the equator in one hour and that makes marking the progress on a map very easy, certainly when using a standard Mercator projection chart. To create a projection map one must imagine half of an engraved globe made of glass with the light behind it shining through. A sheet of paper is held upon which the image of the world would be projected. The Mercator is pretty much the standard chart for nautical and aeronautical use, mainly because its projection is adjusted so that the lines of longitude and latitude turn into a straight grid. This allows angles to be measured accurately anywhere on the map. The scale is also reasonably constant, certainly when measuring short distances, and there are fairly simple formulae to apply to longer measurements. Of course, the lines of longitude and latitude we see marked on a globe, and which are still the standard method of plotting our position on the world, came about in the 3rd century, when Eratosthenes of Cyrene, the chief librarian of the Library of Alexandria, devised the method. It is represented on the Earth's surface by lines of longitude that run between the North and South Poles, starting at the Prime Meridian, running through the Greenwich Observatory in London, and counting round the world to the west and east until they reach the Antipodal Meridian at 180 degrees in the Pacific Ocean. Of interest... At the International Meridian Conference in 1884, when Greenwich was chosen as the position of the Prime Meridian, the only country to vote against was the Dominican Republic, and I don't think we've spoken to them since. The lines of latitude start at the equator and circle around the world, growing smaller as they come nearer to the poles, but always staying parallel to the equator and finishing when they are at 90 degrees to it. Nothing, of course, could be that simple, and our problem is that the Earth isn't exactly a perfect sphere. It's a bilateral episolid, or as Sir Isaac Newton suggested, an oblate spheroid. In other words, it has a little middle-aged spread. Luckily for most of us, we can usually ignore the equatorial bulge. Longitude and latitude are divided into degrees and then subdivided into 60 minutes, each of which is, at the equator or on a line of longitude, one nautical mile long. Therefore, multiplying 360 degrees by 60 minutes gives us 21,600 nautical miles, the circumference of the Earth. Divide this by 24, the hours in a day, and we get 900 knots, the speed you are doing while standing still on the equator. This speed obviously reduces if you walk towards a pole, where you eventually become stationary, just slowly rotating at 15 degrees an hour. Now multiply that 900 by the cosine of your latitude, and you get your current speed. Sitting here recording this, I'm at 51 degrees north, the cosine of which is 0.62932, which multiplied by 900 has me doing 566 knots. So when I get airborne from Heathrow and accelerate to the ground speed of the earth underneath me and fly east, how come I don't stay stationary over the top? Of course, ships don't usually sail over the north or south poles. So the problems that occur when in those regions weren't really a problem for early navigators. Aircraft, however, regularly fly over the poles, certainly the North Pole. One of the problems for them lies in the fact that true north isn't exactly in the same place as magnetic north, which sits in Greenland and has a tendency to wander around. At high latitudes, a magnetic compass first becomes unreliable and then useless, official terms you will find on a map. Luckily, someone clever, Elmer Ambrose Sperry, to be precise, invented a gyroscopic compass that will, generally speaking, hold a heading. However, a gyro orientates itself to a fixed point in space and isn't tied to the Earth. So, since a gyro compass drifts as the Earth rotates under it, a mechanism had to counter its movement. In early devices, this was provided by a weight that would precess the compass at the same rate as the Earth moved, but since this amount wasn't constant with latitude, the maximum being at the equator and there being none at the poles, the amount of precession would need to be varied. In addition, the gyro compass is usually regularly updated automatically with reference to a magnetic compass, and this must be decoupled prior to polar navigation. Mr Sperry overcame many of these problems so that aircraft could have a true north reference and could navigate over the poles using a simple square grid map orientated to the prime meridian until they came far enough for their compasses to be usable again. Nowadays, we still use grid navigation, but our headings are maintained by inertial reference units and global positioning systems. It certainly seems a bit odd using an archaic speed reference such as the knot in modern aviation and the International Civil Aviation Organization has long tried to standardize the measures that are used in different nations. This started as far back as 1944, but in 1979, the International System of Units, SI, was accepted as the standard system to be used. However, since then, it has been recognised that there are some non-SI units which have a special place in aviation and which will have to be retained, at least temporarily. These are the Nautical Mile and the knot as well as the foot, when used in the measurement of altitude, elevation, or height only. Of course, many countries have opted out of the ICAO recommended practices and don't even use the alternative option to the SI units. Mind you, I'm pretty sure that the only country in the world that still uses the primary ICAO unit for height of metres instead of feet is China, Both the UK and the USA have their fair share of deviations from the ICAO list of standard units. The UK, strangely, still measure their runway lengths in feet, but their visibility in metres. Even more strangely, in the US, both runway length and runway visual ranges are measured in feet, but visibility is in fractions of statute miles. I have to ask, where do statute miles appear in other aviation measures, and if choosing to use a mile, why not a nautical one? Of course, the use of many units have grown up from habit and a natural resistance to change. After all, the pound is still standard in the States, whereas it has been replaced in most other countries by the SI unit, the kilogram, which is divisible by 10 and converting into tons is a simple matter of moving the decimal place. The pound, comprising units numbering 16, 12 or 14, depending on where you live and what you are measuring, is not nearly so convenient. The pound weight descended from the Roman Libra, a term for a set of scales or a balance, which is why a pound is abbreviated to 2LB. After independence, the United States customary system was adopted, which was basically the same as the English units. However, the British units were overhauled into the imperial system. It wasn't until the late 50s that they came together again in the International Yard and Pound Agreement. However, in many areas, such as the military, science, medicine, and some government and industry sectors, metric units have been adopted – but aviation in the United States has yet to catch up. I can, to a certain extent, understand resistance to change, but I have flown different aircraft that measure engine thrust in actual thousands of revs, percentage of full power, and EPA. I've got used to hydraulic pressure in pounds per square inch and in bars. Weights in pounds, kilograms or tons, and I still fly in airspace, measuring my height in either feet or meters. I have learned, however, that it doesn't really take too long to get used to a new system. One area where we all tend to agree, though, is the measurement of time. Of course, we still have a potential confusion between Greenwich Mean Time and Coordinated Universal Time, abbreviated to UTC, after a compromise between the original suggestions of CUT, C-U-T by English speakers, and TUC, T-U-C, by French speakers and the makers of Tuck Crackers. It is, however, effectively interchangeable with GMT. The use of GMT was established as far back as 1657 as an aid to mariners for determining longitude at sea. When sailing across the vast oceans, maintaining a constant latitude was relatively simple, since it could be found by observing the angle above the horizon of the sun or the charted stars. Longitude was much harder as it involved a comparison of the Moon and Mars with their anticipated positions at a Pacific time using a quadrant. This was hampered by the movement of a ship and when the sky was obscured. As a consequence, when crossing the Atlantic, for example, it was relatively easy to establish how far north or south one was, but not when one was about to bump into land. After a number of disastrous shipwrecks, the British government established the Longitude Act, which offered a rich prize to the person who could demonstrate a truly practical method. A self-educated clockmaker from humble beginnings, in 1773, John Harrison invented the key element for measuring longitude, an accurate marine chronometer. His genius in developing a clock that could compensate for all the variables of temperature, pressure, humidity and movement that occurred during a long journey was wonderfully documented in the book by Dana Sobel and the TV series on the BBC called Longitude. In a twist of betrayal, Harrison never received his prize, but after his death, his son was awarded an equivalent sum by the king. Harrison's original and beautifully crafted chronometers can still be seen in the Royal Greenwich Museum. For the concept of time zones, we have to thank the great engineer Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who, amongst other engineering marvels, built the Great Western Railway in 1840. Before that time, every part of England kept its own time, which varied depending upon the local measure of noon. This made the creation of a railway timetable impossibly complicated, since in Bristol, noon was 10 minutes later than London noon. Brunel made the trains run to railway time, based on the time measured at the Greenwich Observatory. Before too long, time signals were being transmitted by telegraph, and by 1855 it had been adopted countrywide. America followed suit, adopting a system proposed by the editor of the Traveler's Official Railway Guide, which separated the U.S. into four zones, one hour apart, and centred on railway stations in the centre of major cities such as Detroit, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Atlanta and Charleston. The system was inaugurated in 1883 and replaced with standard zone time in 1918. The first practical concept for a worldwide time zone system was presented by the Scottish-born Canadian Sir Sanford Fleming. His first proposal for a 24-hour clock system based on a universal day of 24 hours beginning at Greenwich midnight was adopted in 1884, but his suggestion for time zones didn't come about for a while. When the 20th century started, most countries on the earth still used standard time, but only a few used an hourly offset from GMT. However, as communications improved, both electronic and physical, by 1929 most major countries adopted a standard offset. Nepal was the last when they moved slightly to UTC plus 5 hours 45 minutes in 1986. Not all countries use a standard whole-hour offset from UTC. North Korea, Newfoundland, India, Iran, Afghanistan, Burma, Sri Lanka and parts of Australia use half-hour deviations, and some, such as Nepal and the Chatham Islands of New Zealand, use quarter-hour offsets. China and India, despite the enormous size of their countries, use a single time zone. Over international waters, time moves at a standard one hour for every 15 degrees offset from the prime meridian. In our world on an aircraft, the standard time used is UTC, which since about 1950 has been referred to as Zulu and given with reference to a 24-hour clock. The term Zulu came from Nathaniel Bowditch's 1802 system found in the American Practical Navigator, which labels time zones with letters, avoiding J, which could be confused with I. Not, of course, to be confused with the five I's nations of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom and the United States whose military formalised the reference to time zones in the book ACP-121 with the letters we use today. The letters system, spoken in the phonetic alphabet, offsets east and west from Zulu. For example, plus 1 is Alpha and plus 12 is Mike, remembering that Juliet is left out. A sad thing for Romeo, who remains lonely at minus 5 hours. If one set about creating a purpose-built system for aviators, I'm sure things would be a lot more logical. And to be fair, ICAO is striving to do just that. However, whilst we try to get things the same, it is actually becoming more easier to accommodate variations. The inclusion of computerized displays into aircraft allow instantaneous and accurate conversions from feet to meters, pounds to kilograms, knots to kilometers per hour, and the like, such that they can be tailored to a pilot's personal preferences or a country's requirements. As a consequence, I look forward to the day I can fly at a height of four and a half bananas, a speed of 3,000 apples, and head off at an angle of 37 oranges
1: fascinating stuff stuff, (laughs) (laughs) what i didn't think it was that funny i thought it was pretty uh, educational
2: (laughs) that's absolutely fantastic
1: (laughs) Uh, that looks
3: good you sure they've got those goggles on the right way around jeff i i maybe not do i have them upside down (laughs) does the world look upside down to you oh that's better there There you go Oh, okay. Actually, I can see. So I can see so much better
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get prescription lenses for these things, though. Uh, everything's a little fuzzy. Yeah, I know. Kind of it's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you'll remember that but,
4: uh, that Nick calculated his speed across the ground in knots during that uh, plane tails, mm-hmm. which was what five hundred something.
1: Yes. Yeah. Five sixty-six. So
4: I, I actually did figure out how to do math again, because we were talking about this over the weekend. And uh, I figured it out for where I was at the time, which is actually not where I am right now, but very close. And I came up with a a great number, a very auspicious number for my current speed across... What, 666 knots? No, you remember. <laughs> Much better than that. Uh,
3: 702. <laughs> <laughs> it was 737. Ah, yeah, a okay. wonderful number. That is a, that is a number. You're quite right.
4: 737 knots. Yes. Yeah,
1: well, that's... 757 for me. Oh, right. I don't know. Would that make sense? That's probably pretty close. I'm a little bit further south.
4: I Asheville, and you're down in... Well, if yeah.
1: you're further south,
3: you're going faster. So.
4: Yeah. Makes sense. You might be about 20 knots faster.
1: I don't know. There
3: you
1: go. I don't know. Oh, I still can't see. Oh, that's because I, I still don't have my glasses on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There we go. So,
1: for those of you yeah, listening yeah. to the audio, I was wearing that um, that nice gift of uh, a leather flying helmet and uh, old-fashioned flying goggles. What I, you know, what I normally wear when I'm flying the Mad Dog, because it's we don't because have of the windscreens. yeah Yeah, no open cockpit. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that was uh, really interesting, very informative, uh, stuff. Uh, I, a lot of most everything I didn't, I had no idea where, you know, the origin of the names of those things, you know, I, it makes sense that a foot is the measure of a average man's foot back in the yeah. day. And, uh, but I didn't know the thing about the thumb, the width of the thumb being an inch. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. I love that kind yeah. of trivia. How flash.
3: long do you think a Willie was?
1: I don't
0: know.
3: <laughs> neither do i okay after all, Steph, she might know
4: no comment <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna go any further than that no. and but i was mine mine's going though well that's a lot of people have said that <laughs> yeah your mind is going all right uh let's continue with some more audio feedback this from uh, someone who has his own outstanding podcast george Nolly.
10: This is George Nolly from the Ready for Takeoff podcast. Hearing Captain Nick tell his story about uh, getting scared in an airplane reminded me of something that happened to me on my first flying assignment when I was in Vietnam, but it had absolutely nothing to do with combat. Uh, but first, let me digress for just a second. Fifty years ago, when I was in pilot training uh, at Laughlin Air Force Base and, and throughout the Air Force, the, the latrines always had... Uh, magazine racks on the inside of the, uh, the door of each stall. And they would have flying magazines in there. So I guess that was a way of teaching us how to multitask. We could read about flying while we were doing our business. And I know Dr. Steph is going to say that's a very unhealthy thing to do. Uh, anyway, I read an article in one of the flying magazines about a maneuver called the Box Canyon Maneuver, which is something you do if you're out of ideas and you have to turn around in a box canyon. So I was at Da Nang flying O2s, which is the military version of the Cessna 337, and I was sent up to do a functional check flight. Where we would check airplane systems, we would take off out of Da Nang, which is on the coast, and go out over the ocean and and do these checks. So I took off on runway three five right and entered clouds at about seven hundred feet as I turned off to the east, and uh, with only three hundred hours, I I really felt like a grown up as I was flying on instruments and it was really cool. Uh, I flew ahead in a heading of zero nine zero and suddenly trees rushed up at me that I saw out of my peripheral vision trees rushing up at me and i instinctively did the box canyon maneuver which is pull the nose up as high as you can unload the zero g's and then stomp a rudder and let the airplane switch ends and i did that came out the bottom of the clouds over the ocean and then tried to figure out what had happened and what happened was my compass had precessed i looked at my whiskey compass my standby compass and it was 90 degrees off and 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 I had on a heading of zero nine zero slowly been turning to the left and almost hit Monkey Mountain, which is a twenty two hundred seventy three foot peak on an on a peninsula that juts out to the northeast of Danang. So uh, hemorrhoids be damned, uh, learning how to multitask saved my life. Oh wow! Yeah, I've
1: I've seen a, um, a compass system precess uh, or completely. Give erroneous information uh, once or twice in in an airliner, and uh, it's it's kind of disorienting at first. But uh, in both cases, we were, you know, we were not IMC. I can imagine that was uh, that got your attention.
3: Oh, for sure that would. I mean, uh, I seem to remember the basic compass systems, gyro compass systems. I uh, hope when I joined the Air Force, uh, the any indication that the uh, magnetic sensor was still feeding accurate information of the compass was that it used to flick a little dot cross. There was a little used to flick between a plus and a minus sign, and we call it dot crossing. While it, it, uh, it was on heading, if it stuck on either a dot or a cross, it meant that it was trying to push the compass, and at the moment the compass, the giant compass wasn't reliable. But it was such a tiny little instrument, just this tiny little eye at the bottom of the compass, And you very rarely looked at the damn thing, so the chance of spotting it if uh, it wasn't accurate were pretty remote.
1: Any uh, experience, uh, Doctor Steph, with um, precessing or inaccurate compasses? Oh,
4: sure. General aviation aircraft uh, likes to precess all the time, and don't put your iPad right next to your compass either, because then that won't be. Uh, Giving you accurate readings either, and then you'll be very confused. So, words
3: this and words is deep. a damn great big Earth magnet, is that right? In the iPad, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: I made that mistake too. Here's like,
3: stuff flying around nothing, in circles.
4: Nothing makes any. <laughs> sense Not you know, nothing, what's getting what's anywhere.
2: But <laughs> <laughs> well, truth be told, the iPad is far more, far more
4: accurate. Well, yeah, but I mean, w- so, uh, I mean, so I mean, so. Let's back up. So this was a completely VFR day, like <laughs> no chance of flying through clouds into any un- unseen terrain or anything like that. But, you know, all of a sudden you're just, you're looking and you're like, well, that doesn't look right. and That doesn't match up. And what's going on here? Like this this doesn't jive with my knowledge of the local geography and the direction I'm supposed to be heading. And and then you go, oh, the iPad is sitting directly underneath the compass or directly on top of the compass. So, Yeah. <laughs> there you go that's, that's the answer
1: so you do not recommend that
4: i do not recommend that okay no.
1: yes. just to be clear <laughs> <laughs>
3: i love the sound of that uh, box canyon maneuver i mean doing that on instruments in cloud that's a pretty impressive uh, feat so i've got to take my hat off yet again to one of our listeners in this case george because uh i don't think that would be uh, something i would like to attempt
1: yeah, so what do you say? So you pull up and then unload and then full rudder or whatever and
3: yeah yeah
1: hope Go for the best? On. Yeah. Never heard of that maneuver before. Interesting. Kind of like a hammerhead stall or something, huh?
3: That's what I was
4: thinking. It sounds like a hammerhead. Like yeah. you pull up and then you wait for, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll have to look it up more.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again, George, for sending in the feedback. And uh, wow, I mean, he's just yeah. cranking out. I think a couple episodes a week uh, over there at uh, Ready for Takeoff podcast. Make sure you check it out. Um you know we talked about I think it was last show maybe the show before about that uh Chinese family who snuck the uh the uh, little 4-year-old oh, child. child. Yeah, yeah because who it wasn't was...
4: tall enough to require a yes ticket or something along those lines.
1: So Len on Lantau uh writes in says hi ABG crew thanks for putting together such a great show every week at speed 1.5 I uh, usually make it to Plain Tales before the next one's out. <laughs> I guess he must be just listening to it a little bit of the t- at a time or whatever. But, uh, yeah,
3: I'm guessing he gives up at Plain Tales, which is <laughs> not a bad thing to do. No, it's kind of yeah.
4: like when people turn off Saturday Night Live after Weekend Update. They listen for Plain Tales and then they're like, "Man, it's all downhill from here."
1: Yeah, <laughs> after they've heard Plain <laughs> oh, Tales, they go, no, "It's not worth it from now on." Can't see a on. Yeah. So anyway, some thoughts on the case of the Chinese family who thought that their child was short enough to travel for free. Such height restrictions are not uncommon here in Asia. For example, MTR Corporation runs the trains in Hong Kong. Accompanied children under three travel for free. MTR's conditions of carriage do specify that any person over 95 centimeters, which is 3.12 feet, is deemed to be over three and requires a ticket to travel. I just started listening to 281. I hope there will be a happy ending for Dana's MacBook. Well, I think there is a happy ending. Thanks again for the great show. Thanks. Cheers. Thank yeah. you. So I guess that was two episodes ago. 280. We must have talked about the about the uh, 120. So if if 95 is 3.12 feet, then 120 must be clo- at least four feet, right? I don't know. Somebody do the I math. I don't
4: know. Nick's the one who can do the math. Yeah, Nick can the, figure that out. The units of measurement now. <laughs>
1: He could probably do it in his head without even thinking about it. I just
4: kind of glazed over during all of that. It's like feet, inches, meters, <laughs> kilometers, um, centimeters.
1: Yep. Okay. Um, and finally, uh, we have uh, some uh, good news from one of our longtime APG community members, Nick Carson. And I, at first, I thought, well, man, it's a different Nick Carson because uh, it says Nick Carson from Denver. So I thought, what in the heck is going on here? So he says, "Good day, APG crew. I have the honor and the privilege to announce, with the greatest gratitude to the APG community, that I am currently being employed with Southwest Airlines, not in Atlanta, but in Denver, Colorado."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yes.
1: Okay. Let's see. He says, "I'm in the process of getting an airport security badge, which takes two months from beginning to end." Wow. As I uh, preluded um, a moment ago in this email, that I want to thank everyone in the APG community, but as well as Steph, Rick, Dana, Captain Nick, and Captain Jeff. Without the APG community or the show since episode 70. I would not be in the position as I am in now as strongly. Therefore, thank you for everything, everyone. So, from here on out, for the foreseeable future, I will be known as Nick Carson from Denver. So, again, congratulations, Nick. For uh, I know that he's uh, wanted to work for Southwest Airlines for, for quite some time. I think he may have some family members that are affiliated with that company. I know he talked fondly about uh that airline um a lot in uh, previous emails so we'll miss you here in atlanta nick but i have a feeling that we're going to still hear from you uh, over there in denver so
4: oh yes and definitely let us know how it's going
1: yeah
2: yeah and and i'm uh jeff do you do very many denvers not really no i do a lot of denvers so i actually like that overnight so maybe we can do a little meetup
1: there you go yeah nick contact captain dana and uh guys can get together and... First officer. And first officer, Dana, as well. Soon to be captain. Anyway. No, not so soon. Yeah. <laughs> I know you really want to go <laughs> we into were that. We are trying
4: to end this on a high note <laughs> with Nick's good news. And just...
0: <laughs> but
2: another year.
4: <laughs> it's good news.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Eventually. All right. Uh, anything else, uh, guys? Uh, so how long have we been going here? About 2.45, you think? Something like that? Pretty close. Two and a half? Yes. Okay. I think uh, this would be a good time to call it quits for uh, episode 282. And, uh, oh, I, f- I forgot to mention, uh, right before I started the show, ended up getting a green slip for tomorrow. A uh, mm-hmm. two-day green slip. Uh, I'm going to head down to one of my favorite places, Mexico, <laughs> for um, I'm going to be ferrying an, uh, an airplane down there. And uh, then... It has a pretty quick turn time from the time we're supposed to arrive to the time we're supposed to uh, ride on a um, Aero Mexico flight to Monterey. And Good then luck. overnight. Yeah, thanks. And then uh, overnight in Monterey. I've never been to Monterey or Monterey, um, Mexico. And then uh, we'll be deadheading on a 7.3, uh, an Acme 7.3 back to Atlanta and back on uh, midday on Well, Sunday. if
3: you're down in Mexico, you can bring back a frozen taco.
1: Oh, I could. Yeah. Oh. Uh,
3: there are a lot of things
0: you can
2: bring. I'm going to have to, to go Mexico.
4: give Taco a lot of <laughs> yeah. love after the show. <laughs> uh,
1: what, what was that, Steph?
4: So I'm going to have to give Doc Taco just a lot of love after the show. Yeah. Yeah. Or or they,
1: he's they, just yeah. Been... No we, Oh, joking. wait a minute. Taco. You, thought, you, you <laughs> thought we were talking about your dog, Taco. Oh, no, Steph.
2: <laughs>
4: Is there some other meaning for Taco? Yes, it is
2: actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but again, (laughs) we really (laughs) can't talk about it on the show. So this this is a Um, family show (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: after. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Jeff, I've been meaning to mention for a couple of shows that uh, one of uh, Acme Red's uh, traffic officers uh, called Adam is one of our listeners. And uh, he came up and chatted to me the other day and uh, introduced himself. And I've been very remiss in not mentioning him uh, on the show. So I do hope he's still listening. I think I've ignored him. Anyway, I hope we get a chance to uh, bump into each other and chat some more.
1: Uh, another time, uh, Alan. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. And Ken Hayes um, helped us out there. Uh, one hundred and twenty centimeters equals one point two meters, which is uh, forty-seven so just- and a quarter inches, or point seven five is less than four uh, less than four feet. <laughs> so, thank you.
3: 0.75 and inch less than that—that's uh, just over two barleycorns, less than four
1: feet. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Or two <laughs> thumbs. No, I don't know. I'm uh, just making that up. Uh,
4: less than a thumb.
1: Oh, less than a thumb. Yeah, you're right.
3: Yeah, three barley corns to uh, an inch. Thumb.
1: Wow. There's a show title right there Three <laughs> barley corns to an inch. People are going to go, what? <laughs> okay. Uh so if uh if you want to learn more if you really want to learn more about the show and the crew, you can head over I mean, do you really want to? Well, <laughs> okay. Uh we're not going to stop you. <laughs> head over to airline 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 airlinepilotguy.com, the website, the official website for the show and you can learn about the crew, the community, uh the coffee fund, um APG merchandise, um and uh, how you can get the uh, download the apps if you have a iOS device or a an Android device, and uh, it comes in handy. We send out push notifications. Yes, I did remember to put one out this this week uh, before we uh, record the show, and then when the show yeah, we is we didn't
3: press the record button, did you? Well, I
1: I can't get everything right. <laughs> I'm only human. I don't have any any first officers you know, looking yeah, after I, me. Wait, so
3: hold
2: on. I'm listening right now. Yeah. Watch over you. Yeah. Watching over you. Well, you didn't You're help me out.
1: Me. You didn't tell me to push the record button, so.
2: Well, what, what am I supposed to do? You Everything you for you. Go to yeah. the show checklist.
3: No, <laughs> I know. Check for the checklist. I don't
1: know, the I don't know where the – the problem is I can't remember where the checklist went. It's gone. So <laughs> – Anyway, <laughs> So, uh, anyway, check out those apps. I think that you'll enjoy them. You can listen to the show. You can watch the show. You can send them feedback from that, and you get the push notifications. All for free, all without ads. So, you know, there you go. Um, what more can you ask? What more? Could, well, yeah, that's a rhetorical question. Uh, let's see. Social media. Dr. Steph.
4: Social media. Find us on Twitter, at APG Crew. You can tweet us there with questions, comments, interesting things and one of us will see it and get back to you. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com airlinepilotguy. Information there about meetups, interesting aviation-related articles, other topics we, and, uh, I don't know, stuff from our lives, I guess, we think you might find interesting. So check all of that out.
1: Hello. Hello. Are you there? Come out. APG
8: listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack.
1: Okay, quit hogging the mic. Go back to the closet. Thank you. Hello.
3: By the way, Jeff, uh, talking of Slack and meetups, uh, I am going to San Francisco. And I couldn't manage to uh, be available for a meetup last time because Fred and I were doing all that fabulous flying. Uh, But this time on the 12th of uh, August, I shall be available for a meetup. So if anyone wants to take over the responsibility of picking somewhere, and the only reason I want to cold shoulder this is what a slopey shoulder this, I should say, is that I don't know uh, the area around my hotel at all. I don't know San Francisco at all. I don't know where would be a good spot. So I just need a, a San Francisco who fancies attending the meetup to go right, we'll go to this place and this will be the time and let me know and I'll, uh, you know, organize everything. So if there's someone willing to uh, take that on and, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, get on Slack and uh, let everyone know, that would be
1: absolutely great. As uh, Dispatcher Mike uh, said in um, a little clip not too long ago, take the bull by the horns. You'll be glad you spent the time and energy to do so because uh, these meetups are always a hoot.
3: Nick, I'm gonna miss you by two days. Ah, oh, damn! Two damn. days? Go days. make that those mad dogs break all the time. Break yours. <laughs>
2: it's not a mad dog. It's my Harley and Hope, hopefully, it never breaks. Ah, oh, okay.
1: You're driving all the way. I mean, you're riding all the way out to San Francisco. Oh yes. I'm doing a
2: 7,500 mile trip starting on wow. Sunday.
1: Wow! I how Included did I not know about San this? Wow! Okay.
3: Wow. Yes. Well, And you can't stick around two days to wait for me? Oh. Well, you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken.
1: So, Dana's going to be live streaming the whole thing, so look for him on his YouTube channel. <laughs> yes,
3: yeah. Sir. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we weren't able to join up, mate. I was, uh, that would have been great.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm actually hoping to have my Apple back tomorrow night so I can bring it with me on the trip so I can hotspot and join the uh, podcast. At oh, nice. Point. Now Excellent. weeks. That's what I want to
0: do.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Be That's the reason that why I get my iPad back, so I can. Uh, iPad, my MacBook Pro back, so can, I can. I actually created a hotspot on my phone and changed my my cell plan, so I can have a hotspot. And hopefully, over the next couple of weeks,
1: when we're going to have a show, I'll be able to join you remotely. All right. Well, that'll be fun. Great. Wherever I am. Okay. Well, uh, with that. I think that we covered everything, so until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
4: Cheers, y'all.
3: Come on, Douglas.
9: <laughs> Good day.
0: It
5: ain't I ain't going I used to be such a good good pilot till I started APG I open doors for little old ladies. I help them to their seats. Airline pilot guy, I fly a major. Airline pilot guy, he can't land in heavy fog. I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline
8: And opinions expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast.